Okay, let's do the character introductions. You guys just go ahead whenever you're ready. Hello, I'm Trevor. I am the voice of Zothka. I play a orc cleric in the world of Urida, which is the name of our world. Hi, I'm Wash. I'm the voice of the dirt wizard Jebediah Peppermint in the world of Urida Campaign. Hello, I am Jake, the voice of... Oh, no. Mine's even written there. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Hello. My name is Jake. I'm the voice of the Azamar Bar Bar Barbarian. Hi. Barbarian. My name is Jake. I'm the voice of the Azamar Barbellion. Bar oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is the best content we've so, ever made. Hi. I'm Jake, the voice of the Azamar Barbarian, Owlin, in the world of Urida. Hello. I'm Matt. In the voice of Fox, the rogue changeling, in the world of Uradar. I could hear you slip into movie trailer part of the way through that. Hi there, I'm Josh, the current Wing Badger Game Master, and this is Tavern Talk, originally streamed at twitch.tv slash wingbadgergaming and featuring our good friend and fellow streamer, Wash Brunello. It's a chance to discuss the last session, dive deeper into the psyches of our main characters, and also talk about D&D in a more general sense. Tonight, we'll be talking about how our players get beyond the simple character sheets to build real believable characters, an overview of my planning process as a DM, and the newly released Unearthed Arcana Source for D&D 5th Edition. So pull up a chair, set down your packs, order a drink, and listen to the sweet, sweet sound of Tavern Talk, beginning with a quick recap of our last game session by Wash Brunello. Man, lots of stuff happened. Holy cow. <laughs> we finished up a dungeon. We we ran away from spiders. We didn't kill them. They made a surprise twist, like, follow-up right there at the end. That was uh, scary. Uh, we got really confused with it with a game that I made up on the spot about putting a number of fingers up and whether it's even or odd. That was a spinoff of a. Uh, that was a spinoff, actually. So, I watched the Squid Games the other day, and I found mm, out that that was Squid like games. that 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 was kind of like the same kind of game. One of them was where it's like you go one, two, three, shoot, and you put something up, and but somebody chooses even or odds, um, and mm. it has to do with the total of them, or whatever. Uh, but anyway, so I think we I think we went deeper. We went we went south to follow after the guys, after Reginald and his his gnome buddies. Um, but we had uh, we had an interesting altercation. I think one of the uh, one of the classic D and D player instances of how a very simple conversation <laughs> gets stretched out by paranoia and and over preparation. Um, yeah. Which is fun. I felt like it was all it was all in character. Got a little bit of a little bit of a curiosity going on with Fox, him changing his appearance for the first time. Mm -hmm. Not sure. Not sure what's going on with that. Um, and Jeb, I believe, is unaware of this. I believe like this happened behind him. Owlin is the is only player on. character that noticed at the time. Pretty sure Zoth knows he can do that. No, Zoth already knows. Yeah. Well, yeah, because like, they have a prior mm -hmm. connection. Yeah. I'm I'm totally cool with with like, I love it when my characters don't know what's going on, but I like but I know what's going on. <laughs> Dramatic yeah, I irony. Love, yeah, I I love it when uh when you've got like some limitations like that to work around. It's uh it makes it super fun. I think it's so interesting like, that you love the pressure of not meta gaming. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, such a... I, I think maybe that comes from a little bit of DMing. 
because uh, like I have to not metagame metagame when I DM. Um, otherwise, you know, the ancient black dragon is like, I know what your armor class is. <laughs> Can you imagine, um, like, Bilbo is is <laughs> up there? Smog is like, I can smell your AC. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That would be that sounds oh. Okay, that sounds like a really good idea for like some sort of like <laughs> fantasy like sort of like meta comedy thing where it's like a character like kind of like free guy but in D&D which like a character realizes they're in a video yeah. game and then yeah, anyway. Smog rears up to so, use his breath and and uh Bilbo's like you've used your breath weapon, you didn't roll to recharge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So there's a uh I don't know the guy personally, but a friend of mine was telling me that that a campaign of a friend of his, wow, that was a really big fun setup. A friend of a friend. There's a campaign out there <laughs> where this DM in his world gnomes break the fourth wall. There's just oh. something about gnomes and their magical nature, and and they will like talk to the players, and they will do things like move off of the battle map mm. and like onto players' character sheets. And see, like, the minis will move onto them and, like, see what's on their character sheets and then move back. And they're, they're, cause they're just, like, completely aware that it is a game, but they're the only race. Yeah, it's pretty wild. (laughs) That's amazing. That's interesting. uh, There was a a concept similar to that that um, was in a campaign that I co DM'd where there were, we added a cleric domain that was like the idea of like the their the god their god is Gygax. And so they <laughs> like their whole thing is like they they worship the 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 great twenty sided die that decide the fate of every decision they make. You know what I mean? Like it's like yeah, it was fun. That is fun. Matt so, never did get popcorned. <laughs> I was just about to say so our our story though. <laughs> Well, we kind of concluded, so, yeah. Well, um, popcorn to Matt. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> um, so I guess I could just put Fox's spin on things since we kind of went over and kind of just put it in a lot neater bow. <laughs> so we, we, we'd be looking for some magical stuff. Fox don't care. He just He does not want to be home. Um, and, and Zoth, you know, he, annoying as he is, he's someone to follow, you know, he, he looks like he can handle himself. So we fall into a cavern, crazy stuff happens. There's some fun guys, some bad fun guy. There's some spiders, there's Not touching moments with lock picking. No, never. Uh, touching moments with, with lock picking, touching moments with, with dead grandpas, uh, and, you know, and boomsticks. Uh, or wonder blusses uh you know and then and then some reginald character and some paranoia drawn out scenario is correct about that um (laughs) and uh it turns out uh reginald was looking for somebody completely unrelated we don't know who who in the world that could be no Uh, no definitely wasn't fox or any other name that fox could be going by nope um so he, we just left him. We just let him go. We don't understand why the DM put him in. Definitely wasn't to mess with Fox in any way, shape, or form. Um, and, and now we makes sense. 
we were going on a, a a little travel. Um, if I believe I remember correctly, did we decide to travel west, south, south, south? Which is like south. the, the direction we're trying we didn't to get away go. from that. Yeah, yeah, the direction I don't want to go. Alan doesn't um, want to go there either. He just didn't understand the odd and even hand thing, and so like literally put up the wrong number on his fingers, and then Jeb was like, "Okay, we're going south." And I literally jokingly at the end of last session said, we're going to start next session with Alan suggesting we go north instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that was the thing. Is like, we had None this of us big are making spider a decision. Looming over us, temporarily pacified. Jeb was just like, this is not the time for another debate, guys. We need to like, <laughs> we either need to move north or we need to move south. Hey, hey, watch. The spider has a name. Reggie. Yeah. Bizume. <laughs> Reggie. President, former president of Nintendo of America. Yeah. yeah. Reggie. I definitely didn't accidentally make up the same NPC name for two, yeah. two characters in a row. <laughs> I Who, didn't expect no, to have to name the not. spider at all. No, it's it's, it's so. two different names, Reggie and Reginald. That's Completely right. Completely different. Yeah. Um, I was very hungry. This also is a great segue into a little bit of a vibe check. How are our characters feeling at this moment, at the end of the session? And uh, I'll go on behalf of, yeah, the Mike and it adult who is traveling with the group now. Um, yeah, is is feeling tentatively excited. I mean, at this very moment, he's unconscious because he just strenuously made a spot like pacified a spider that was attacking you. But yeah, is tentatively excited to see the world. But he's also nervous that he's like, I don't know what I got myself into with this group. You know, like like they seem less and less competent the more time I spend with them. Uh, and there's a lot of like, like sarcasm and arguing and like in his path to enlightenment, he's like, we all need to coexist, you know, peacefully with each other. And he, he's not sure how to handle that. So I think it's a big growth opportunity for, yeah, to see that like conflict can be healthy, you know, and like sometimes mm. a group has to come to a collective decision. So that's, that's kind of where he is right now. This nice. is a reminder. Or, we named, we named him. Yeah. There's, there's grunt, but we also named this man, Not yeah, grunt, Groot. Groot. That's true, and <laughs> I am grunt, and he was named yeah by you guys. Yes, yeah, the Mike well, did. Yeah, I completely own that, and I have no regrets whatsoever. <laughs> and since you have no regrets, why don't you tell us how Jebediah is feeling next? How's Jebediah feeling? Let's see. <clears throat> a lot's happened. A lot has happened. I mean, like in a single day, he he accomplished his goal of of finding the magical implements of his of his grandfather he found that his grandpa died unfortunately had to do like a quick burial rather than you know give him the proper rights and everything before we got smoked out by the spiders um i feel like he's uh i feel like he's like satisfied with his companions right now like i, I don't think he's uh you know gonna sign any contract on the dotted line to you know be a part of an adventuring party quite yet uh, can definitely get there, but he he feels like uh like he feels like they're good they're good folk you know he feels like out of the all of the weird circumstances of people that you could run into in a cave underground none of these guys are stinkers you know like none none of these guys are like a disaster waiting to happen um and he feels like he feels like they're really good folk um nice. he's probably going to spend a little bit more time with uh with Owlin. And with uh, with Zothka, because he hasn't really gotten to spend too much time 
uh, with them. He's, he's kind of had a couple heart-to-hearts with Fox and and feels like he's got a pretty good beat on him. But also, he, he kind of doesn't know what to do. You know, mm-hmm. like right, right now, it's it's more of like getting out of here to safety so he can start tinkering with his stuff and putting his stuff to the test. Mm-hmm. Um, the next long rest we get is probably, he's probably not going to get much rest. He's He's going to be, you know, tinkering with this stuff into the into the wee hours of the night trying to figure out the ins and outs of it yeah that definitely is that's that's that that's the stuff man that's the feels like he's i think he's had the most happen to him out of all the people in the group in the in this first dungeon like i think he's undergone the most just because of like the discovery of his grandfather and and sort of like the the quest ending in a way that he maybe didn't expect like his journey is almost beginning yeah. on the heels of another journey ending whereas i feel like everyone else is kind of like they're starting an adventure but they're not also concluding one so yeah i think that's really interesting he's all, he's also probably in a little bit of shock too with everything that's been that like not being able to process it's like one thing after another um so he's he's probably going to be a bit of an emotional wreck in the near future. Um, you want to pick someone to go how next? About, uh, how about Alan? Alan, how are you feeling? Yeah. Alan is still feeling very curious about that blunderbuss, the wonderbus, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, he also really is enjoying the dynamic of this group. He enjoys his deep discussions with uh, Zug or Zoth or Kug, all of these various nicknames that we've used throughout the, these two adventures. <laughs> Whatever, man. Um, I really like I really like Zug because it's like a combination of the beginning and ending of his name. I think that's funny. Um, anyway, uh, he's enjoying his conversations with Zug, and although it may be unproductive for the group at large, he personally has been missing being able to have these long in- in- intellectual pontifications about small matters um, with someone because he hasn't been able to really do that since um, his time in the military. In the military, it was more of just like shut up and do your job as opposed to before that when he was more of a scientist and a tinkerer and theorizing is what he did all the time. Uh, So he's enjoying that part of the group dynamic. He uh, is curious about Fox because he noticed a little shape-shifting thing, and he noticed, and he's picked up on, like, his insight was good enough to pick up on, like, um, Fox's reaction to the letter and how the letter is, it's for him. Um, so he's intrigued by that plot thread. You could say he, like, the, that plot thread, has, plot thread has, that plot hook has grabbed him. Uh, but, um, yeah, he is liking the direction that this group is going, and thinks that they're on to something that has to do with his goal with finding, bringing magic back into the world, especially, you know, this whole crescendo thing too, being super interesting. Also is curious to see how Zug will harness the power of these magical moss, this magical moss that they found super curious. And he would love to be with Zug when Zug is kind of doing this thing to really like learn all he can about that process. Um, so yeah, that's how Alan's feeling right now. He's mostly just curious and liking the direction that this is going, I would say. Who should go next, Jake? I think Matt should go next. 
<clears throat> you mean Fox? <laughs> I think Fox should go next. Okay. What does the Fox say? What does he say? <laughs> wow, pow, 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 pow. Oh, no. So, all right. I've been holding on to that joke for like three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Let's 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 hop into the mind of Fox here, all right? Let's let's think about this. Take so, me on a journey. Take you gotta realize um Fox ran away from his life, which was probably like first world problems kind of life. Um, because his parents loved him. Um, and his parents were very much about the vibing. Um, but he just found it annoying and under his skin and he saw it as an excuse to finally just like leave and go do something while also for once getting the motivation to go look into some of the questions he's been questioning for a while now. Um, he, he is very a private person because he's not because like anything traumatic has happened to him, but more or less he's just that edgy that <laughs> and angsty that he just doesn't want to divulge if he doesn't have to. You're not it's my, my dad. life, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I will say he's had a lot of character growth just in the last day, um, or I'd say more opening up in the last day. Um, as as Jeb has already mentioned, um, Fox and Jeb have gotten along in a, a weird sense to Fox, um, where Jeb just seems to be like that wise, like almost like older brother or parental figure that isn't his dad, who's annoying as, you know, all hell. Or or Zoth, who's also, like, representation of what he left. Um, so he's, he's definitely got some, like, weird mixed feelings about Jeb, where Jeb's a stranger, but Jeb's also been, like, there for Fox, um, even though he was a stranger, and has always said some, like, straight-to-the-point meaningful things without making it sound like, you know... Pray to the vibe. Um, <laughs> and he's got nothing against Zoth. Um, if anything, at this point, traveling with him so long, he feels like he just needs to keep an eye on Zoth. Um, he's kind of projecting a little bit on Zoth, seeing, making it seem like Zoth's the one that needs protecting. Because he's so naive. Doesn't he understand the world? Um, so... He's gotten this weird attachment to Zoth, and I don't think Fox truly understands that yet. Uh, I think that's the only reason that Fox is still traveling with Zoth, is that he's got this weird attachment he hasn't actually fully processed mentally. Um, and and Owlin is, is probably the one that Fox is still a little wary of, only because he hasn't had a chance to really talk with him much. Um, at this point, though, I mean, they're all kind of shoved together in this group, and I mean, everybody else seems to be getting along with Alan, so I don't think Fox is gonna, like, go hardcore, like, oh, I'm not gonna be with you. Um, but he's definitely, it's definitely gonna be a little more guarded towards Alan, especially because, uh, I believe, I'm not sure if, I think Alan did give a knowing wink or something, a knowing look, so... Fox 100% knows that Owlin knows something, and Fox does not like that, because Fox did not tell Owlin that he was allowed to know something about Fox. <laughs> so, it, that's that's definitely going to put him on guard. Um, but he's, he's, he's actually, I'm not sure if anybody knows this, and so I, 
adult metagame, but he's actually looking for information. Um, I'm pretty sure most of you already know this anyway, but in case you forgot, he's looking for information on a childhood friend. Um, him running away, this was his great moment to finally like look into this problem that's been itching him for a while, and perhaps that's part of the why he, he's angst. You know? He doesn't know. He's not a therapist. You know? But that's that's basically what he's trying to take this as. An excuse to look for information passively, because he doesn't know how to look for it actively. You know, he's He's a little young, um, doesn't know what he's doing, uh, and this is just a great opportunity to try to learn as much as he can about the world. And so. and he, correct me if I'm wrong, he ran away when the magic vanished, right? Two years ago, he was like, okay, well, if the world's already in shambles, I'm just going to get out of here and find my own way. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. It was like a triggering moment of like, you realize you're in the cool zone, right? Kind of like you realize, like, there's about to be a civil war in your country. Are you just going to sit there and be like, well, I'm going to go to school, uh, learn about, <laughs> you know, ancient history and not ignore it? No, he's he's going to go out there and figure out what's going on. He's going to he's going to pick a side, you know. Is his arc going to be like Fox's coming of age story? I, I definitely feel like that's so. The way I like to roleplay this, right, is I, I chose this character and I flesh them out the more I play them. Um, mm -hmm. I had no arc in mind, no character development in mind, but the more I play him, I definitely think that's what he's coming into, is this coming-of-age story of him trying to understand the things around him while also... Finding his place in the world. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to find his place in the world. Um... And it, it's really going to be a conflict of whether or not he's going to let his edginess ruin relationships around him, right? His angst, or if he's going to get over that. Um, I feel like that's definitely going to be a major roadblock for him. And I'm, I'm excited to see that. I know that sounds weird. I'm the one who's playing that character. I'm excited to see what happens to him. I don't think that's uh, weird at all, because you're, you're playing that character by taking on the role of the character. So you don't know how it's going to end. You know, like, who's going to go through it. And so you're basically getting to go through the journey with him. Sure. And I, I think that's a great way to explain it. I feel like some people don't understand that right away if they haven't played D&D &D or they just haven't, like, gone full into the role play before. Um, is that I, I find a lot of fun in just trying to embrace the character and let the character make the decisions for me. Um, obviously, you got to, like, peek under the curtain occasionally when you're like you realize you know meta wise like yeah we're taking too long here or <laughs> you know we gotta we gotta move things along and or like you know certain things have to happen but i, I still try to keep it in character because that's that's a lot of the, that's where i have a lot of fun with dnd it's not the dice rolling not the combat but the character growth and the character development and just seeing what characters do in situations thrown at them and I'm I'm there to kind of be a part of that ride. So that's sorry, that's I just got way into it's no, that's good. That's why we're here. Fox. Vibes, man. But vibes. you know, speaking of the one that Fox thinks is naive and needs protecting, <laughs> uh, how's how's Zothkug feeling? <laughs> I know he's probably vibing. He he is definitely vibing, but um. He's, you know, he's cool and calm on the outside, but like internally, part of him is like super nervous and anxious right now because he has this magical moss 
that the Myconids are trying to protect. And so he's trying to figure out how he was, he, cause his initial plan was like, Oh, he could like crush it up and eat it, or he could smoke it like different things you do with plants. But, but like when first when, options, yeah. Yeah. When this came up as like a thing that could happen, like a potential thing, like someone's like, you're going to smoke this. And then the Myconids got super defensive and Zoth saw that. And he's like, well, if, if he goes along with, and, tells them the truth ish like like because like he wasn't gonna do anything if they didn't want him to do. but like with them getting so angry you know he's like oh well how am i gonna sort of harvest harvest this without offending yeah and so he's sort of, that's like his his primary concern right now but he also loves you because like he just took out that spider man and they sort of like worship and follow him and he you know he likes that <laughs> exactly um and so he's he's having a lot of fun especially like in instructing sort of on on the vibes and everything um i think he definitely takes a liking to alan because alan is like questioning curious um so zoth is like oh man this this guy is great uh which I guess will come up, I guess, in the future if there's ever a scuffle between Fox and Alan, you know, like Zoth's, uh, I guess, testimony might, might play a factor in, in that. Um, and then, obviously, when the magic went out, Zoth was, like, super freaked out about it. And, like, there's a civil war between his people and the humans, and he doesn't want that to happen. You know, he just wants everyone to be chill. And so when when he heard about Fox just taking off, he's like, that's a good idea. I can solve this problem and, you know, get everyone chill. Like, magic comes back on. Everyone will be chill. We can solve this this conflict. And so he, he decided to go with Fox. And he definitely just sees Fox as this traveling companion. He definitely thinks Fox is, like, way too... Um, I guess serious about everything and like just need legitimately needs to chill. But like Zoth knows that Fox doesn't doesn't like this stuff, so he tries his best to sort of just let Fox be. Especially after so long, like traveling together. Like probably at the start it was much more annoying. He was much more annoying about it, and then over time he's like, Alright, you do you, I'll do me, we'll we'll hang out, we'll be cool. But uh it still happens and Zoth just wants Fox to chill more. Uh and then I think Zoth finds like, Jeb really interesting, but they haven't had like real conversations yet. But like interesting from a species standpoint, like he's never seen any of your kinds. So like, Whoa, man, that's so cool! You got to do all this stuff. That <laughs> is there a piece of Zoth's mind that's like, wow, dude, you could get like six times the high that I get from the same amount of plant. That would do it too. That'd be, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> Jake just got the joke like a minute late. <laughs> I mean, like I was still processing it. Um, in terms yeah. of, uh, I don't know how drugs work. <laughs> Mom, in terms I, of, <laughs> In terms of goals for Zoth, um, he definitely wants to figure out how to sort of harvest this plant for magic and, you know, reusable, obviously. Um, and that'll... That's Sustainable. Sort of his, yeah. 
sustainable magic used from said plant. And so he has to figure out either how to do it behind Yeah's back or figure out a safe way that Yeah approves of in order to to do this, which, you know, may cause conflict. I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but... Something that Yeah can say yeah to, you know? Exactly. I, I just want to say, I find the concept interesting if Zug's put in a situation where in order to do what he wants, he has to create conflict. Mm. Like, even if it's, like, just within his own mind, like, that he has to go behind somebody else's back. I yeah. like that idea. Like, a test of his character. Sort of, sort of be a, a defining moment for him, definitely. Because he mm. hasn't, at the, up to this point, he hasn't really had to make any, you know? He basically just read, um, since he, he couldn't do anything super physical, he's the runt of the orcs, he just sort of cowered in the church, um, if you can call what whatever they if if they have churches you know in a traditional sense but sort of cower in the church and just read all day about with whatever books they had in their village because um, despite his his chill and vibe in nature he he does like to learn and read and everything that's vibing I think but, learning and reading is definitely a vibe yeah um and so. He, that's part of his decision to leave too is like well we're not going to learn like like I've learned everything I could in this village so the opportunity came up for him to leave and he took it um, and then moving forward we have the plant stuff um, he wants to continue teaching and lecturing about vibing and, and his religion <laughs> the religion they, of the vibe yeah, well, well, flat, well I, I think it'd be fun to flesh out more of, like, technical stuff about the religion, like, maybe write some, like, commandments or something for it. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that. I was thinking of starting the next actual campaign session with an excerpt from the legit holy texts. Like, yes. just, like, like you know, an excerpt from the sermon of, blah, you know, just like a little, yeah. like a... yeah. Because it seems uh, like Kelnor, the Book of Armaments. Yeah, Kelnor yes. <laughs> seems to be like the the most the currently the most deeply ingrained deity, like in this phase of the world and in, in yeah. your four characters, Kelnor seems to be the one that's like right at the tip of everyone's tongue. Like, you know, we haven't really gotten into Oara or Zanir or Gamteus mm -hmm. yet. So I, well, I think it it'd makes be fun sense to because like, you know, there was the promise of the great yeah. celebration right before Magic left. That's yeah. you know what I mean. So it was like literally magic left right before Kelnor's like prophet was going to come back to the surface. That's true. And like that, that's like huge. So that would make sense. Yeah. That totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. He's definitely waiting for the, the great celebration. What was that like, called again? Matt, do you remember? It was the month of mellow, right? The month and of mellow. Yeah. 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 And it ended with the day of good vibes. Yep. Or the go. Feast of Good Vibes, maybe. Yeah. It was it was a time. I'd have to look back at our... Did we, we recorded that, right? I'd have to look back yeah. at it. <laughs> we, we, we streamed that. it, we, bud. <laughs> we have a whole spreadsheet yeah. of everything that happens. It's also on YouTube, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, I also... This is a metagame kind of observation. I think it's cool that Matt embodied a deity a deity so well and now is role-playing a character whose whole shtick is that they're tired of that deity and yeah. he's doing that really well too i think that's really fun i didn't I, even I, think I, about that matt were you just like so upset with yourself at the end of, of the first like world building sessions 
No, I, I actually, I had a lot of fun with that, and I'm, I'm actually secretly loving that he got adopted so hardcore <laughs> into the campaign currently, and I, I gotta say, I, I thought it was, I, I think it adds a little, it, it'd be a little boring if everyone was just like, yeah, he's a cool guy. It's, I mean, <laughs> like, come on, how is he not? So, <laughs> I had to find a reason to not make him a cool guy, and I, I thought, you know, putting that into my character, like, kind of adds that little bit of conflict adds that little bit of spice you know i dig it there's got to be people who hate it you know? gotta be nobody likes the guy who who seemingly doesn't take anything seriously like dude chill man like bro like my crops is burned down and they're just like <laughs> be all right man <laughs> the smoke <laughs> yeah and then, and then, then in. you just get more angry like i feel like that is the embodiment of how fox feels yeah so unpacking this a little bit more <clears throat> if i may ask why did you guys choose the character that you chose like what drove you to pick the race and class that you picked Hmm. Do who I can go first, I guess. I yeah, chose yeah. I chose Azamar because I thought it would be fun to play for a character from a society that I thought was really interesting, which I can all like I guess it's kind of probably a little bit like toot my own horn to say because I created the E2 civilization, but I thought that like that would be fun to play something from there. I had also never played an Azamar before. I chose Barbarian because I liked the contrast of like the idea of the the warrior scientist of like this is what I'm mm -hmm. good at and this is what I have done but this is what I want to do and I like multiclassing into characters like that in the future I used to do a I in a in a previous campaign I played a thief or a rogue whose whole thing was he wanted to change his ways and become a cleric and so I like higher level multiclassed into cleric and that was a really fun multiclass um, so I enjoy playing characters like that and barbarian is just one of my personal favorite classes to play And mm. I figured I'm gonna be playing a long-form campaign. I might as well be classed into a class that I know I enjoy so That was my thought process What about you Trevor? Uh, for <clears throat> me class wise I sort of let everyone else pick and then sort of took the fill role um, Like I, I've played pretty much every class to some extent and I enjoy them all. Like honestly, I'm more for for the, the here for the the role play and sort of the story and the plot than I am for like combat and everything. So it doesn't really matter what the class is to me. I I played them all. I played some more than others, but I really it, it doesn't doesn't matter to me what class I play. I will I will enjoy it regardless. Um, and then when we were I was like brainstorming with. I think Josh about, you know, the race and sort of the story, because I wanted to know what, like, like I, I, I always try to tie my backstory into the specific world. Like I don't write a character and then fit it into the world. I like make the backstory based on the, the world that I'm in and where I start and how that goes. And so we were talking about where sort of the potential start would be. And then Matt, I th or like Matt joins the call and sort of, Matt has his character idea and he like pleasures out it's like what if what if we know each other or oh no we had the characters first I forget how I chose orc or why it was like these are the character the races in this area you have the humans and the orcs I'm like oh well, that's interesting I'll be an orc uh, 
I've played half work before, and humans are like my default. Uh, purely for for a mechanical standpoint, they're pretty pretty good because you can get a feat for free, basically. <laughs> Technically yeah. speaking, all of us default to human. Yeah, like, mm, true. <laughs> Fair. Um, so, like, I'll be an orc. I've, I've never been, like, a full one. I've done half. And so I was part of the orc people, and I'm like, well, I'm an orc cleric. That That's interesting. Um, you know, very different sort of... Luckily, with Tasha's, you can sort of fix the, the, the issues with, with playing an orc cleric. Um, Wait, so, that... so so Zothkog isn't a half orc. He's a, a no, full orc. He's a full orc. Interesting. I didn't realize. That. I guess I'm just used to uh, half yeah. orcs showing up in campaigns. Yeah. Interesting. He's an orc orc. Orc orc. Orc orc orc. Orc 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 orc. So <laughs> I, 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 Pokemon. I pick, that's how we talk. <laughs> I pick the the orcs who who are mainly followers of Kalinar. So that's sort of how the the god came in. Like which god I was gonna worship, basically. Um. And then Matt and I, like Josh wanted everyone to sort of have at least some connection or like try to when he proposed that. So Matt and I talked a lot about how that like the, the relationship between our two characters and how that mm-hmm. that started and developed over time. That's pretty Makes cool. Makes sense. How about you watch? Mine was a bit of a journey, um, but... Uh... The whole idea of a gun wizard, of, of a wizard that that casts spells through some sort of gun-shaped implement of some kind, um, has been something that's been floating around in the back of my head. I've, I've always liked the... I've never played a wizard, for one. And oh, I've, really? I've always wow. wanted... Yeah, never played a wizard. Nice. I always wanted to try one. Um, I, I really like glass cannons. <laughs> yeah. Um, pun not intended with uh, playing the gun wizard with a, a literal cannon. But, um, yeah, so I had this this idea of, like, reskinning classes where they were functionally the same, but uh, but that it would throw, like, a, a fresh take in the world. Co- they're and, and they're cosmetically different, but fundamentally the cosmetically, same. Right, right, right. But it... Because I like the... I, I really like the... I really enjoy when a class's features and abilities are like manifested in the world or like like tied in the world. Uh, for instance, like when way back in the day when I was like, I'm going to play a wizard one day, I was like, I'm totally going to go component pouch because I want to you know, have to get the bat guano and the sulfur and, and, you know, have a thing for it to cast fireball mm-hmm. or, you know, the eyelash encased in gum Arabic to do it invisibility or fly or whatever. Like, I like how, like you could run into a situation where, Hey, there's bats. And he's like, well, you know, got to, now's the time got to stock up, you know, rather than we're just going to, uh, hold on. Somebody is texting me and I do not have, do not disturb on rather than just say i do the class thing right you know yeah. I, I i do the spell um i i like it being tied to the fiction and uh and then when critical roles campaign 2 rolled around and Caleb Widowgast was really into the component pouch i was like well he kind of did that 
And that was really cool to watch. And now I feel like it kind of, it didn't take the thunder out of it, but it kind of like satisfied my curiosity for doing that. Sure. And I was like, that was really cool to watch. I'd like to do something different now. Uh, and that's that's kind of what took me down the uh, down the path of a of the gun wizard and the the you original experienced idea it vicariously to, kind of through through yeah. critical role yeah that makes sense yeah. and so the original idea was to start with a pistol that would cast cantrips and like maybe level one and two spells and because uh, then once you get to level three spells that's when that's when they get kind of big um, and so the idea was to have like like a shotgun or like a rifle type thing, like like a big two-handed thing or something for the bigger spells. Because I, I wanted a moment where, um, like, my turn comes around and everyone's like, oh, what's he going to do? He pulls out the big gun, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, it sets this precedent and you're like, oh, snap. Um, That's or cool. Or it's like, you know, like, here, there's a big situation that comes up and he's like, nah, just pulling out the little guy. Boof magic missile or you know something like that yeah. um I, I really like it being tied to that um and the idea of of reflavoring spells to make them work by being cast through an implement like that is is really fascinating to me the the dirt like the the mole people for for those in chat the dirt are mole people it's mole a people. mole people um, <laughs> i was when we were when we were building out the world, like there was a lot of really cool races, you know. Like, uh, I really enjoyed the races that I created, like the uh, the essentially Gorons, you know, the the Hematicians and the uh, man. I forget what the what the wood their wood cousins were called. Um, but then like oh, the Wheatlings, I, I was like, I was like, man, the Wheatlings are are really neat. You know, I could I could do something with that. But then part of me was like, I've really fleshed out a lot of of like like they did a lot and i felt like the dirt folk kind of came in towards the end and there Mm -hmm. really wasn't a lot going on in that kind of in that part of the world and i was like this would be a great opportunity to take the more fleshed out stuff and give that to josh so he's got something to build on and then to take one of these other races and and then use the game as an opportunity as like a bit of a blank slate to to kind of fill that out as we play yeah and i hope you don't mind me stepping on on your creation of the dirt folk (laughs) i self-admitted i self-admitted in the last stream that i forgot they existed (laughs) in the last world building stream i I said i said uh you may have noticed that i stopped doing anything with these people and it's because i forgot (laughs) so yeah no understandable to be a people forgotten by your own god that can be that's in the lore now that's canon in the lore literally god just forsaken yeah they, the like, god just pl- forgot about their people. What, what it, I like, like, and yeah, that's what happened. Sorry, what I ahead. like about you playing a dirt folk wash is that I am I'm almost reverse world building, where I'm basing the rest of the dirt folk off of my impression of Jebediah. Like <laughs> we haven't because we know that their civilization fell apart. Um, this is actually a great segue into what I was going to talk about tonight for lore. I will I say wanna- we never we never talked to Matt about why he chose his character. 
Yeah, I, I wasn't actually going to make the segue. Oh, okay. I was just saying oh. this is a great segue into what I'm going to talk about because I, I'm going to tell you about the dirt people tonight. Well, don't but mislead me like oh, that, Josh, nice. by saying the word segue. Sorry, yeah, their civilization kind of fell apart. And so we have a lot of unanswered questions about the dirt folk because of the fact that their God sort of abandoned them and, and left them kind of on the lamb. Like they, they don't really know what's going on. And so I've been putting a lot of thought because you're in that region of the world into like what happens to a civilization who are literally God forsaken. Like what, what does that mean to those people? And so I'm excited to tell yeah. you about what happened to them. But before that, I agree Ooh. with Jake. Let's hear from Matt about why he chose um, Fox and, well, and whatnot. But yeah, when watch is done. Yeah. Let me tie up one last thing. So what really sealed the whole thing together? Well, like that blank slate plus the idea of the gun wizard was really just as simple as uh, I wanted him to, to be kind of Western, to have like, you know, the duster jacket, like a gunslinger. <laughs> and the dirt were out West, and, you know, it's all dirt. And, um, and that, that's, that's why, that's where the accident came from. And, uh, you know, the, it just kind of tied it all together. And I was like, I, this is, this is a blank canvas, and I just am really excited to fill that all in. So, I'm I'm really happy with the way he came together. In my nice. head, when I think about Jebediah Peppermint and I'm not listening to the actual campaign, what comes to mind is a two and a half foot tall Indiana Jones Harrison Ford, but with the <laughs> voice of Clint Eastwood. That's like that's what I get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I two and a half shins, mind you. Mm. Two and a half. Two and a half You're right. Two and a half guess. shins. Is this the canon measurement default measurement? For it's this the one that now? it's the one that plants use, I guess. <laughs> True. I mean, it's what I'm using going forward. I'm I'm totally in on. I'm shins. here for this. So just... <laughs> get in on shins. Like <laughs> that I, I sounds like a in. wingle. It just never happened. So yeah. I, I got to take an alternative form of measurement. That's, That's true. Right. Very true. Uh, I, I know y'all want to really hear about the dirt. Yeah. Right? So Always. I'm going to keep mine short and sweet. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no, I meant, no, I didn't mean it in the way of like that. I meant in the way no, of, it's okay. yes, but also. No, I understand. No one time. loves you me. Can... <laughs> it's understandable. I love you, Matt. <laughs> give us the, give us the dirt on, on the changeling. The dirt ooh. So, on the changeling. Ooh, ooh. I had a lot of fun. I, I joined the world building late. So I was trying my best to leave my impression on the world, even though I wouldn't be able to shape it. Right. Um, so part of that was like, you know, in my head mentally, I'm like, if I'm joining late, it's probably like I already I had already had the idea of a god of hospitality in my head. So I'm coming in, I'm joining late into this, like a couple sessions already in. And I'm thinking to myself, like, he's probably coming in to like make sure everybody's getting along. Right, just making sure like y'all are like good, right? Like, <laughs> you ain't being petty over here, right? Um, so he wanted to set about to make sure that you know any kind of conflict that the gods may have, or that the people may just have, uh, you know, doesn't get too harsh, and that you know people learn to love each other. Um, and it slowly turned into like vibe check though <laughs> and i was okay with that um i was like you know what this is this is a character this is a fun time um but one of the things was everybody had like their their race right um it's the classic like um pantheon-esque thing where like oh you have a race i'm gonna make my own race 
um, kind of situation. But, you know, he felt like Kelnor, you know, felt like, you know, I need to make someone who can fit in, blend in, and who can help spread, you know, good vibes. So good thus vibes, he created man. the good, the, the changelings. Um, and I thought the concept of playing as a changeling, I mind you, this came way after once we were like, okay, now we get to create characters. I'm like, you know what? Changeling sounds like a really awesome idea, you know? Um, it's mechanic that, you know, you normally don't get to see. Um, I personally always play a charisma based character because I like role playing, right? Um, and I find it a lot easier to do that when I can do stuff with what I say, um, you know, mechanically. And so usually a charisma based rogue is the way to go. And I'm thinking, dude, this is it's all adding up. Like it's as literally the moment of like, oh, yeah, it's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, OK, I, I like I already like playing this kind of character of, of like charisma based rogue. Um, and, you know, the changelings I just created, you know, during a world building, they're perfect for a charisma based rogue because, you know, deception and disguising while at the same time being able to like, you know, like it, it's not like, oh, I put on a mustache and I roll a disguise check. It's I shapeshift to look exactly like your father and talk like him. Like that, you, you gotta it's going to be a little harder to figure out that I'm, you know, disguised. Of course, if I don't talk like your father, you know, word-wise, vocabulary-wise, I might give it away, but, you know. I, I don't also think, certain mannerisms, you know. Sure, and I don't think Fox has ever gone, like, full, like, deception. disguise before. Yeah, full deception, because he's never had a reason to. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how he deals with that. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I, I think Fox, um, as more of a base line character idea was just I wanted to play um change lane mixed with my favorite already archetype of character mm -hmm. uh, and I felt like it was the perfect combination that I've never done before just like these two go together perfectly um and then beyond that the kind of character I ended up developing for Fox to be um I I wanted to have something that was a little out of a little different right usually we always have like the classic like i'm going to avenge my father kind of situation <laughs> um or and or you know like i must quest to solve the great problems i was like nothing what if I against just... anyone who's questing to solve the great problems well no, no. nothing <laughs> nothing against that i'm just saying i i i felt like i couldn't do that um convincingly um and so I thought about it and I was like, what if I just went small world idea, right? I, I left in his character creation a little tidbit and I didn't even fully flesh it out by the time we even started. Um, I left a little like plot hook that could get him going places, um, which was his childhood friend who was a mermaid. Um, they got separated. Um, you know, there was right before magic went wonky. They got separated before that there was an issue with the family and they ended up having to leave um and they kind of left on uncertain terms um and she kind of just disappeared right it wasn't that they were just like hey i'm moving to nebraska goodbye 
Um, not that anybody's not, ever done that. Wrong I feel with personally called to out by that statement. <laughs> <laughs> Someone who moved to Nebraska our third year in college. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that. We're like, oh yeah, there is somewhere else. It was more like, not only did he have to leave where she was, but she also just straight up disappeared. Wait, is Josh the mermaid? Josh is a mermaid. Josh is not the mermaid. I've been the mermaid all along. <laughs> so Fox is really Matt's projection of himself. Oh my goodness, guys. And wow, dang, crazy. Yep. You, you figured me out. <laughs> I, I didn't know we were on uncertain terms before I moved, man. We can, we can be friends. I'm, I'm an angsty 16-year-old at heart. How'd you know? Um... So yeah, no, that that's his whole thing. So I thought, you know, that's that's a little deeper plot hook, right? That means a little bit something. But I thought for the most part, like, what if I just go small world, right? He doesn't have anything crazy. He just he just wants to go. And it's over something petty and stupid. Um and it You're doesn't even make like that looking much sense. For an excuse to leave. Yeah, the, the irony is like you can see that with a lot of people who grow up in very religious families and they don't like it, right? Um, where they mm. kind of like rebel against that. But the irony is this whole religion that Kelnor is around is just all about like just loving people and letting people be people. So the irony is his parents are constantly like, it's fine, man. It's chill. So he's like, he, it, that's a tough thing to rebel against because to the, yeah, because it's, it's like I've heard my friend who has liberal parents describe how sometimes that can be frustrating because they're just like, like, yeah. Like, sure. Like, you do you, you figure it out. And they're like, no, you're supposed to be mad at me. Like, there's yeah. conflict. There's, you know, it's just like, they're just like, no, like, yeah, like, you'll figure it out. We, we're, we've we been there. You're like, supposed no. to tell me it's a phase, mom. Yeah, exactly. Like, so uh, I, I definitely say I, I am channeling a little bit of that when I was younger because I definitely had the same exact thing happen. Um, mm. Where my mother, I love her to death, is so, like, just great of a person. It was so, so supporting that I, like, if I did anything, it's just like, Wow, I'm proud of you. And I'm like, you're not can I can I do anything to upset you? <laughs> uh, but I never tried that hard either, because like um that you know, that's a whole personal story. So I never really got to feel that. Um so I'm feeling like I get the channel for funsies, right? Like that that kind of vibe of like, oh I'm frustrated because nobody actually thinks I'm rebelling. <laughs> I'm gonna rebel. You want, uh, I, you I think want it's there hilarious. to be conflict and are looking for it and just aren't getting it. Exactly. Is, yeah. is Fox like secretly a bard? Is he like, <laughs> I need to experience pain to create art and no one is <laughs> inflicting pain on me. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like he's he's like, it's like one of those deep incented things where like he doesn't want to feel pain, but he wants to feel pain and he's all confused about it and he just wants to feel like he's doing something and Bard everybody's just agreeing maybe in with the future you. maybe i don't know yeah well never know. i mean the door's open know. yeah depending on how his how his character progresses and everything yeah i definitely when i was originally like i when i had received your character concepts and was taking them to my sort of prep process for the campaign it was the hardest to figure out how i was going to challenge fox's beliefs because of the fact that he's like focusing on, on like small world issues. And normally uh -huh. as like, as the DM, you try and present people with big world issues and then let small world issues pop up along the way. And so it really helped me to like, think about the game in a different sense to have 
a character like that to to prep for. So thanks for that. Oh, that's cool. Great. Uh, the irony is like it's happening very organically. Yeah. Um, like a lot of the conflicts and 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 little bit of growth he's already had, I feel like is not planned at all. Well, he just needed to have an honest conversation with someone who wasn't. Uh, chill know, out, man. Yeah, Zug. Yeah. <laughs> Um, somebody who is down to earth, you know, literally. <laughs> well, down to Urida anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was. It, it's I. I think it's a fun character to play. Um, and I feel like he's a little bit more relatable in that sense. Um, obviously, I'm playing it up a little too extreme. So I, I hope to God nobody can be like, yeah, I feel exactly like that constantly. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I feel bad for you, man. <laughs> Hopefully, you can find a, a Jeb in your life. <laughs> um, but everyone, everyone needs a Jeb, Jeb in their life. Yep. Yeah, Jinx. right. My first girlfriend turned into the moon. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> That's rough, buddy. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say your first girlfriend was Jeb. I was gonna be really confused. <laughs> Jeb, but, uh, Jeb is totally a, a that's rough buddy kind of guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, so yeah, that's that's what I'm liking. I'm liking the small world issues. He has a larger issue potentially, and I'm leaving that 100% open to the DM to figure out what happened there. Right? Oh, I figured um, it out. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure <laughs> it's going to tie in to like a greater scheme, right? Um, so I, I left that plot hook dangling because I plot hook <laughs> dangling. Because um, I, I I knew like just being the angsty teenager Hallelujah. wouldn't be enough, right? Because if you're just an angsty teenager and like a couple sessions in, you slowly start to figure yourself out, like then you're just like a character, like <laughs> whose arc is mostly completed and is just there. And unless I create a new arc for him to un- undergo. Like, I'm the character who gets killed off at that point if, if there was an <laughs> author writing this book, right? Yeah. You know, or you the just character... move into another arc. Yeah, you, you, well, you, true. there's a new character, like a challenge to your character, and then you have to solve that. You're like, it's an ongoing process. Like, none of us will ever just... Like, if we figure out something about ourselves, there's still more to figure out. But I, I, feel I don't like... know about you, Trevor. I've actually figured out everything about myself. Oh, I'm sorry. So... I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to presume... <laughs> <laughs> I definitely feel like I, I every character in a D&D campaign, right, should be undergoing a similar length arc, most likely, right? And it's and well-crafted, uh, they tend to all tie together uh, coincidentally or by chance or by purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just being angsty undercuts a lot of everybody else's arc. Um where everybody else is like, you know, Doth is looking for this great, you know, magical artifact that is, you know, in only told in myths now. Um, and and you know, and I'm already forgetting the your name. <laughs> Alan? Jake. Uh, Alan. Alan, yeah. I remember I'm Jake. It. Hi, how are you? Uh, <laughs> I remember Alan because. I, I when when I heard of the Azamar, I thought they were bird people, and so yeah. I think owl. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, got it. For those of you Owlin. listening at home, when Jake just reminded Matt that his name is Jake, his name is also written on the screen. <laughs> like, this is true. We're here on the uh, live stream. Anyway, it's fine. Anyway, 
So yeah, everybody's got this major depth. I do got to say my favorite thing so far has been Jep because I feel like um, he's going through like a reverse process that everybody else is, right? Everybody else, and I've mentioned this already to Wash, uh, everybody else is is starting their like journey, right? Um, whereas technically Jeb, you could probably write a whole book on how he got to the beginning of the campaign, right? He's a, he's a lone traveler. Hell, hell, you could, you could write an episodic thing about it, about all the, all the things he ran into on his way to find his perfect title, you know, exactly. Sleeping on the river. Sleeping on the river. There you go. <laughs> it, it, it is such a, uh, interesting concept that his journey has ended and the but Jebediah a new one is beginning chronicles yeah the, the jeopardy chrono jeopardy Je jeopardy the, Je the jeopardy chronicles yeah matt can speak english chronicles um, tune in next time for matt reads the dictionary any percent speed run <laughs> <laughs> percent in the dictionary is that just one word <laughs> i suppose technically you're right <laughs> you just went to a random word and i still can't read it so i'm just like spending 30 minutes trying to pronounce it anyway it starts with the a's done <laughs> that'd be a great subathon for us to do a dictionary 100 percent completionist speed run Oof. That sounds um, terrible. I think yeah. great might be the wrong word for that. Are you but, kidding? You know. People love to watch people suffer. If we just tell them every sub, we do another yeah. page. What we what we need is 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 that uh, the the chess matches between Jake and Matt. Oh, true. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, that's the twenty four hour chess stream. Wow, that, that is, is a deep, deep cut. cut. Dang. Wow. Throwback. Um, Remember watch. when we used to play Warzone? That was a thing. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah>. Anyway. <laughs> Watch, I'm not sure if you know, but we did like a uh, a video, music video, a while ago. And uh, is that on YouTube still? That's on YouTube yeah, still, right? Yeah, it's on the YouTube channel. It's on YouTube. Yeah, I can even I send the link in the chat. I watched it. Um, but hey, you can it's actually fine. get the link in the chat by using exclamation mark mixtape. I think that command is oh, still running. Let's do is it. Is it still alive? I think that command is still a thing. Let's go. Get after it. Yeah, there it is. Get after it. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, no, that um, was that was a fun time, but it starts off with a uh, a spoof twenty four hour chess live stream. Yeah, um, that was how we, we kicked off it. Hype Week. I think we we filmed it, yeah. that by kick like, yep. when we kicked off Hype Week, and then it came out a yep. couple days later. Um, uh, so that, Josh, yeah, back to the dirt. Why uh, why did you choose to be DM? <laughs> Ooh. so i actually do much prefer being the game master to being a player um because i think that of the the dms i've played with and none of you have dm'd for me so i can say this safely so you can you can talk uh, trash without, yeah without without offending any of you of the dms i've played with i think i have done the best at focusing on player satisfaction <laughs> and it's really important to me that the group have a good time during D and D, yeah. like to me, my role as a game master is to make sure the players have fun first, and then to do all of the mechanical stuff. And I think that a lot of the people who I've played D and D with have been like, ah, the game of D and D comes before 
the feelings of the people at the table mm. and there it can lead to a lot of like like sneaky dm stuff like oh but you didn't say you told the other person the information i gave you so how would they know and you know stuff like that yeah that just really gets to the point where it's like you're playing against the dm instead of collectively telling a story so for that reason i have always preferred dming and i've done it for a long time and i've screwed it up a bunch like i'm certainly not the best dm in the world and i don't get everything right i've made mistakes even in the past two um no i'm with you even in just the two sessions that we've played so far like there have been mechanical mistakes that i've made but i feel like i have done a good job of taking care of the players making sure you're having fun and your characters all get what i call hero moments um, in the story where like everyone gets a chance to shine and like focus on, you know, you guys built backstories and I have incorporated them. I didn't write my plot until I knew your backstories mm-hmm. because that stuff is really important to me because I want the characters to feel or the players, I should say, to feel like they're valued and like they're an important part of the story and not like, you know, oh, well, here we are dungeon delving because mm-hmm. that's what you do in D and D. So, um, that's one of the reasons I love game mastering. Another one is that like, there's a writer in me, like a little budding writer that is just always looking for an excuse to get out. I published a book when I was like 15 and it's not good. I won a contest and they released it on Amazon. It's not like I got a publishing deal and published a book, Mm. but I, I, there, there was a contest for like national novel writing month, which is November. And you set yourself a word count goal. And if you hit the goal, you get a prize. And depending on the goal you set for yourself, you win the prize. And my goal was 50,000 words. And I wrote 50,000 words of a book uh, in November. And if you write 50,000 words of a book in November, then you don't proofread any of them. And uh, the first sentence of the book, I kid you not, first sentence in the prologue is it was a warm winter's afternoon that morning but i wrote a book (laughs) and released it and like like that energy has always been sort of a part of who i Mm -hmm. am like i'm i'm a little distractible a little creative a little bit of a little bit of everything and so dnd is a great opportunity to like flex the writing muscle with friends rather than Mm -hmm. just like like for example, my book, it was fun when I wrote it, but like I don't care about the story now because I wrote it already and nobody else cares because like they have no personal attachment to it. Versus What's the D&D. name of the book, Josh? Can I ask you what the name of the book is so I can find <laughs> it on Amazon? You, you can you can ask me what the name of the book is and I could tell you all tell you afterwards in our Discord. <laughs> Exclamation point mix book in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chat the the mix book command. Get after it. Uh yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I will, I will direct you to it. It's, it's fine as young adult (laughs) fiction. It's just not fine as a book. (laughs) Josh, that entire, that entire story that Josh told was actually a lie. His real name is George RR Martin. And he wrote wrote those books. Wait on that last book. Those Game of of Thrones Thrones books. A song of ice and flames, but someone stole the idea and got to it before me. And it just, I just, mm. A song of snow and and smoke. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> a so melody that's, of snow that's why and smoke. I love GMing. I also i I really like the premise of D anD D as a game where it's like this is an RPG without any of the shortcomings of an RPG. Like you know, when you play Fallout, yeah. there's always a point where you can't do the thing you want eventually, and D anD D just doesn't have that point. So that, that's why yeah. I like DMing. Thanks for asking. Amazing. Yeah, man, you're a player too. That's true. He and and I will say, Josh, not to like 
not to not to like I don't know put heap too much praise on you because you don't <laughs> need more than you need, but uh, you, you do a great job. You, like you, Thank you. you do you do a really good job. I've played with several different DMs in my lifetime, and I would consider you one of the best that I've played with. So. Thank you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's yeah. not get his head all up in the... <laughs> Let's calm Matt, down it's now. It's okay. BS makes the flowers grow. That's right. <laughs> mm. there you and go. you know what, Jake? You will level up next session. No, just kidding. Oh, thank just you. Just yeah. <laughs> wow. yeah, you did a great job. <laughs> my, how the turntables or something. I will say, I think something really good about this campaign that is I haven't felt in a lot of other campaigns I've played is sort of the investment in the world like the world building stream got me like really interested like being a part of that like having some backstory and getting into like sort of the world around us even even if my player doesn't or my or yeah my pc doesn't know about stuff it's like it's really interesting especially like i'm anticipating things to come up i honestly didn't think like any of the artifacts would come up for a while but like here we have crescendo and i'm like super invested in that since that like yeah. was like right around the things that i was involved with i i will i will admit that i really enjoyed the world building uh streams but then when we started playing i kind of forgot about them like like i didn't like that never happened or anything but it was just like it, it wasn't in the forefront of my mind mm. but that moment when you pulled out the the magical moss that was blowing in like in in a magical wind and my mind went to the 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 rainforest um that you know everything moves to to this music and i, I was just like oh snap like like I made that connection and it I was I was legitimately surprised at how positively it affected me. And I love that. I think probably the next time I run a game, like that's a homebrew campaign, I'm going to try and involve the players in the world building because it's it's fantastic for front loading the world into the players' heads. I've 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 loved it so far. Like even just that one instance, that's enough for me. It's it's great. Yeah, and it gives us as the players context into the wider world that we're invested in, like, which is basically what you just said. But like I've in past D campaigns, um, I like was playing in a world that my friend, like, like whenever I've DM'd even like it's in another world, I didn't really create the world. It's, it's in like either forgotten realms or it's in a world that my friend Loudon built and we were co we were co DMing. And so, and I was, I liked those worlds, but I wasn't nearly as invested in the fact that like, I created the E2 or like the goddess that I was playing created the E2 or like the dirt and how like there's this idea of like, oh, crap, I messed up. And therefore, those that's a godforsaken people now. And that's fun like that. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) so, yeah, I think that's interesting. Absolutely. I want to take a second and just welcome Arivio to the chat. Hello. Hello. How are you? Uh, Welcome to our humble stream, the Wing Badger Tavern. Uh, Tonight, we're talking tabletop instead of playing it. And you're here just in time for a little bit of uh, world extrapolation. If you yeah. um, if you guys are ready, maybe we can jump into some lore oh. about the dirt people here. I'm uh, ready. All right. I'm well, so in that ready. case, I'm, I'm getting cozy. I'm nice. snuggling in. Excellent. I'm, I'm ready here. I'm here. Love for to it. hear that. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth, chat. I did not look at this scene in OBS today. I just trusted that it would work like last time. So. 
uh, we're going to see if it looks right, but I'm going to click it. Yep. See, see that where it says no signal. That's because I didn't do my homework. So <laughs> just give me one little second here Come on, and, Josh. and I'm going to, I'm going to be better. I promise I'll be better for you. Okay. <laughs> I, I just, do, do, do. <laughs> this is the song we play when Josh is fixing <laughs> stuff that he broke. There it is. I fixed it. Okay. You're looking at the map, chat. And uh, that brings us right back in. Ari is still catching up with last week's campaign. Loving it so far. We're so glad that you're enjoying yourself. And for any of you lurking or listening to... Well, if you're listening to the podcast, you know it's a podcast. But for those of you who are lurking, um, if you are interested in catching up on what we've done so far, we are available on Spotify. We should be on Apple Podcasts, although I've heard there might be an issue with that. We're on Amazon. We should be everywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, as nice. Wing Badger Tavern and the artist is Wing Badger Gaming. So you can check us out. Um, but anyway, so for right now, we're talking about the dirt folk. And I especially wanted to talk about what happened to them because if you look at this map, there's a red dot on the map. That is where the party currently are. Um, Ari, mm-hmm. it will not ruin any spoilers for you to tell you that when they leave the dungeon, uh, they're leaving in the general direction of this red dot. That won't tell you anything about what's coming up or what's happening. So I, I feel totally comfortable giving you that information. Um, they have not made the decision yet about whether they're going to resurface or whether they're going to try and explore the tunnels further. They've just said, we're going south because they're trying to make a, a hasty exit from the dungeon. Um, the, the place where they're located in the world here, you can see to the south of them is Briania, which is the sort of tribal orcish location. And that's where um, Fox and Zothkug are sort of leaving. So I'm expecting you guys to head west, southwest. And that's why I wanted to elaborate on the dirt folk, because if you look, that's their territory. And during the world building, if you followed the lore, the history of the world, then you know that the dirt are a mole folk who were commanded by their God to crisscross the world with tunnels. But at some point, their God forsook them um, for a conflict happening in the East. Their God yep. forgot them, left them, This God was left not them omnipotent, just was focused on other things. That's right. <laughs> and so the dirt folk tunnels fell into disrepair because they no longer had that innate drive to maintain them. They couldn't get in touch with their God. They couldn't, they, did, they weren't hearing from Oara and they decided, well, they didn't really decide anything. It, it fell apart around them. And what was left were these sort of fragmented bubbles of a civilization that was once very tightly interconnected. And I wanted to detail a little bit of what happened to them because mm. they cross. If I zoom out a little bit here on this on this map, you know, they crisscrossed the continent up to about this line. This is about how far they went. And for those of you listening, because obviously you can't see, it's it's about half the continent. The entire western half of the continent or the world of, of Urda, they they have just like crisscrossed it with tunnels. And those tunnel networks are wide enough and big enough for a cart drawn by horses to go down. They were because the goddess of trade commanded them to make the tunnels. So the intention was for them to facilitate trade and interconnectivity between civilizations. They have stops at pretty much every village. There's a way to surface and and descend into the tunnels. And they also have way stations, hotels, and even some little underground villages built into the tunnels. And when contact with their god failed... 
And when they lost their drive to interconnect, those small hubs and villages are what became the core of the dirt society. And so the dirt folk are very familial, very clannish. And this is one of the reasons why it makes so much sense for Jebediah to be tracing his grandfather when he set out on this on this venture, because he felt called by his goddess to go participate in the expansion of the dirt folks network. But ultimately, the family is what matters. And at this point, especially with magic being gone from the world and reeling, you know, they want to bring the family clan back together. And so that's one of the reasons that it really justified to me, you know, what, what Jeb is doing, but they've got these, these small clans. Some of them live underground. Some of them live overground and they, they have all sort of built their own customs. So there's no common accent. There's no common, um, holidays or festivals or anything like that. They've Oof. sort of built their own things based on what's significant to them. So like birthday celebrations are almost the biggest deal to them. Like if you think about how Bilbo ce- celebrates his birthday in the Shire, those are the kind of parties they throw for birthdays, but they don't observe like a religious holiday. Like that is their religious holiday. And mm. there is there there is a dissension among the group between like what you might call the older generations and the newer generations over whether the, you know, whether Awara will ever come back to them, whether they will hear from their God again. And the, you know, like for example, Cole Peppermint, um, who is Jebediah's grandfather would have been very devout in his faith because he left to, you know, he felt like this is what he was called to do. Whereas people Jebediah's age, I won't speak for Jebediah because there are always outliers in, in a race of people, but people Jebediah's age have grown up with people telling them how great their goddess is, but not seeing any of the payoffs. And then, mm. and Awara abandoned the dirt folk before magic left the world. So they were yeah. reeling from this and then magic itself left. And it's almost like, like our, our goddess left us, but with this gift and now the gift has been taken from us kind of a vibe. And so you end up with a lot of internal conflict from there too. And so it's, it's like one of those things that you don't talk about. Like, you know how in our world at Thanksgiving, like you don't talk about politics and you don't talk <laughs> about like your relationships. If there's anyone who's like questionable with your family and it's like that, it's like common among, even though they're tribal, it's sort of a universal thing, no matter where you go. Like you just don't talk about religion right now. Like it's, mm. it's, risky business and there are clerics and and the clergy of Awara, but that church is greatly diminished and mostly they're like they're an inward facing church not an outward facing church they're not Mm -hmm. converting people they're it's more like monasteries you know or um you know people leave and go join the convent and become devout followers of Awara, but they don't necessarily preach to everyone around them and they'll still they're still hospitable they'll take people in you know they'll love on them they'll take care of them but they certainly are not going to go out and try and be public facing with what they're doing because it's risky business people are so like touchy about the idea And another thing that's become really strange is that with all of this interconnectivity with other races that are largely around them corrupt, the, uh, the humans of Aspesh are corrupt. And then the tieflings up here, there's, there are corrupt and purified tieflings, but the corrupt tieflings are this, this area here, which is much closer to them. So there's a corrupt tiefling society, a corrupt human society, and in the North, a corrupt dwarvish society that are all bordering their, their tunnels. And so a lot of the Northern tribes of the dirt folk are very selfish. There's a lot of, 
um, me first, you can't trust the outsiders sort of thing. Like, oh, our God has told us to get connected to everybody, but we have found that everybody around us is bad. And so then it's like, it's not just a matter of our God has left us. It's like our God has misled us and then left mm. us instead of fixing the problem, like left this big mess for us. And for those reasons, I, I have sort of mentally been treating the dirt like the frontier, like it's the wild west where everyone is making their own law. Every town has a sheriff and that sheriff mm. is, is the law. And yeah. the, um, you know, just like the way station has a single security officer, but that security officer would be the governing factor in the way station. Mm. Um, so, so that is how the dirt civilization has kind of grown and what sort of become of them. Do you guys have questions, things that, that, you know, interest you? Like, let's talk about the dirt folk. I'm, um, I'm loving what I'm hearing. Yeah, me too. This is a really, really interesting, and I, I, I like the idea of it being sort of the, the Wild West, um, you know, like, and then I just get some funny ideas of, you know, some of some dirt folk, you know, slamming open the doors to the local tavern, or their <laughs> equivalent for a tavern, and, you know. The saloon doors, you know, the, yeah. yeah. I like the pictures. I like the picture that the saloon doors have the lower and taller ones, but instead yeah. of opening the taller ones, the dirt folk just kick the lower ones in. Yep. <laughs> Can't imagine I, they get many visitors either. Probably not. I wonder, you know, you talked about the variance between like the variety of different law and different attitudes because they're all so sequestered, like these, you know, little societies within the dirt because of the everything that happened. I wonder how different like how much variety in things like cultural um dress and accent and attitude like i, I i'm just wondering i'm imagining like okay north west northeastern dirt folk are do, do if they met like a southwestern dirt folk like if like those two villages somehow met each other like what would that would there be some culture shock there like how diff like would they be surprised at how different those two things are i think especially in terms of dress there wouldn't be and the reason okay. is that we're only one generation into the me first mentality so like the grandparents of the dirt folk they're still dressing like a proper dirt folk should Versus gotcha. this mental shift is appearing in what we would call like our current millennials. That would be where yeah. this shift is happening for the dirt folk. It's gotcha. like the current parents and then their kids because the kids are sort of taking on the vibe of the parents. So you gotcha. would, you would see like the grandparents would be agreeing about lots of things while the kids are dueling in the streets kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, okay. I also want to take a second for those of you listening at home to give you an idea of just the picture of the map here, because I know on an audio only podcast for us to say things like the Northwest means very little to you. Um, Urida is a, a water surrounded continent and then it's very clearly split in half and then thirds and it's split in half by a mountain range and then it's split in thirds by a couple of different natural barriers but the western half of or the western third i should say is walled off by the the existence of what is labeled an acid corridor on the map it's a perpetual storm of acid hail and rain that makes it really difficult to traverse and it's created this river underneath of it that goes from one end to the other end of the continent literally segmenting it into thirds that's poisonous it's full of this acid 
and the dirt folk are one of the only civilizations living on the western side. The only two other civilizations that we know of are the tieflings who are in the northwest and the orcish clans in the southeast. And so when Jake is talking about the interaction between the northwest and the southeast, it's because those are the two civilizations that the dirt folk will have encountered on sort of their third of the world. Mm-hmm. There are still dirt folk as far east as the middle of the continent, but they're going to be more scattered and cut off because as the tunnels get further away from each other, they stop Mm. being quite the interconnected network of sort of highway streets and they become more like interstates going from specific city to the next city just because of the distance that they're covering. So yeah, I do Do want to say the lone dragon as its own civ. Uh, so there is the domain of an ice dragon, an elder ice dragon, Thraxenhow, but I would not call that a civilization. I would call that uncharted territory. So I, I do want to say I, two things. One, um, you say two sis, but I think you're clearly forgetting the giant seafaring spiders. <laughs> um, That's true. They also exist up in the north, but they, yeah, they're the thing- kind of everywhere. Yeah, they fare in the sea. You the know. thing about the giant seafaring spiders is that somebody crisis them with a giant lightning bolt, and and you know, uh, actually, I think it might have been a meteor, but some someone crisis them, and so they are a greatly diminished population. So it's more like a handful of giant beasts that like the everyone else is smart enough not to attack, and the beasts are smart enough not to attack, and so they sort of have this tentative like. You know, I'm not going to do anything unless you provoke me Cold War kind of situation going on. But I agree with you. It's it's good to mention that the Northern Sea uh, is home to giant seafaring spiders. So that's a thing. Um, but also. They're only <laughs> also more on topic. Um, I do want to say I find it kind of interesting because you say it's like the Wild West, right? But I, I want to say it's the opposite of the wild west because and you know traditionally the wild west was the united states being like well we got all this land uh we need it developed hey you over there you're poor you don't own land you want to own land go develop that for us you know like and so it became this law it was a lawless place that civilizations slowly grow into grew into right um by the way quick little reference red dead redemption kind of follows that story about how civilization permeating and killing the wild west Mm -hmm. right because that is a natural trend of it where in this case the wild west came about because of the exact opposite it is not a a development of land it is uh the undevelopment of land it is the it is the destruction of of civilization and law and order that has created this wild west scenario and so i i find that kind of interesting juxtaposed to what the wild west actually was which means this unlike the wild west in history which was like this weird golden era um of of you know what we like to think about when we think wild west and even then it wasn't really that great and it's a little exaggerated played up you know taller than romanticized yeah it's romanticized um and it didn't last that long i would like to think that this is like this is the the epitome of wild west this this will actually live up to those only because there is no 
force from outside making there's it better no standardized governing body to influence them yeah there's no united states mm. government trying to develop the area nobody's there to develop it if anything they're just trying to survive from the fall of a if government anything it was almost like a, a theocracy that lost its theocracy you know and and everything was spread so thin that it just turns into this massively spread like out each, collection of prairie it's, towns it's like and the each dirt community doesn't know about the other dirt communities like they're they're just like we're us guys like they don't know they don't if, have if the pony other... express yeah well, to, and so like it's like the clear, covenant after the first three halo games ooh. sorry go ahead <laughs> to be clear the the dirt folk were expanding as a civilization through their tunnels so they know that like other dirt folk exist and were expanding they just have lost contact with them as they lost their drive to make the tunnels they also lost their drive to maintain them and so there have been a lot of cave-ins and such like even the premise of our first two sessions here is that some tectonic movement you know an earthquake opened up one of the tunnels that was previously like blocked from access yep and so that's why you were able to explore it and find it in the state that it was because over the past, I think it's a couple hundred years. I don't remember exactly how long they've stopped um, expanding for right now, but it's been a while. And so it's been enough time for, you know, those tunnels that are blocked off and that have fallen, they're like, you know, in disrepair. And so there's some stuff that's like, Ooh, relics of older civilizations. And the, you know, monsters have had time to move in. And, you know, there's just been some stuff like that that has filled up the space, but they know that the other civilizations exist and there are, I imagine, although I can't say for sure, Sure. I'm just the DM. What do I know? But I imagine that in Tumbleweb, the capital city of the dirt folk, there are probably, you know, schematics of what the tunnels should have been. Now, you know, builders cut corners sometimes literally when they're making tunnels, but there are schematics of what should have been. And yeah, so and, that's, you know, you know, run into things unexpectedly. Maybe the dirt's like a lot tougher in a certain spot. So the tunnel never got finished because they just got too tired to keep digging through this rough material. You mean the stone? Because that's going to be a lot more clear than saying the dirt weren't tough enough for the tough dirt. (laughs) (laughs) You run into bedrock, you know, impenetrable. Yeah, exactly. Need a diamond pickaxe. Yeah. Yeah. Do they have diamond claws yet? Oh my gosh, Wash, do I do I have your permission to change the adjective for the dirt folk when they you know when they get nostalgic about something or whatever? Are they sedimental? <clears throat> uh, I'll leave that in your in your capable DM hands. Okay. I do like what you've <laughs> I do like what you've done with them. I like I really like the homely aspect, and I think that that kind of leans into the the personality that Jebediah has right now. Um, and uh, and I like how I'm I'm interested to see if we bump into any dirt towns and the and the variety of cultures that have erupted from that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's, I think, I think you did a, a I think it's a good. I hope good we run one. into more of my opponents. No offense. Why would that I, be I will say, <laughs> I don't he know. prefers it's mushrooms a, over people. It's fine. Yeah. Well, like instead of running into dirt people, running into I running mushrooms into, on pizza. Mm. I like mushrooms on pizza. Ooh, mushrooms on pizza are now. great. <laughs> you want to order uh, pizza, man? I don't think I can at this. Can I? <laughs> it's only, I might it's order only pizza. 
I mean, yeah, honestly, I might order a pizza later too. Oh <laughs> Look what you've I done, Wash. <laughs> this is the story about Wash got all of us to separately order pizzas. As <laughs> <laughs> part of the, I own stock in Pizza <laughs> In Pizza Co. Well, the only reason that all of those months ago when I painted that Wing Badger Mini was so that I could raise <laughs> the stock prices of the pizza companies that I own. It's, it's, it's good. Bye, guys. See you. It's my job. You could say he's I'm completed out. his character arc. He literally, <laughs> for those of you listening in audio only, he literally just swung his chair out of the frame. He was like, bye, and just like rolled out. Big brain play, you know? It yeah. was... It was all a setup for him to increase his stock, stock portfolio. <laughs> Dang. It was my side hustle all along. Now, Ooh. before I forget, I, I do want to bring up uh, to ruin this joke by completely ignoring it. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to say before I forget, I, I do find it interesting that this whole concept that organically came up with the dirt folk and the tunneling and the fact that they lost contact with their god, that's the tunnels fell a distance to repair and all this in the Wild West... It is literally created like it's like the golden situation for dungeons. Yeah. <laughs> you have all the tunnels. They're abandoned. So anyone could just move in and do whatever they want with them. You can which, add to them. Which I will say originally Josh complained that because the tunnels fell into disrepair that they wouldn't be good dungeons. And I was like, Josh, I don't think you get it. This is your dungeon opportunity. And then he was like, oh, you're right. Yeah, because so. a mad wizard could just move in, knowing yeah. like knowing that you know. <laughs> but of course, we don't have wizards anymore currently, uh, and I'm pretty sure a lot of them died. What are wizards? Uh, yeah do do we, do we remember <clears throat> that? Yeah. You guys, do it's we, only been two years since magic left the world. It's not <laughs> like it's not like the <laughs> memory of magic has faded from existence. It's just I, I, that I'm saying it's as like gone. a as people meta game. Do we remember the time we killed the wizard? The wizards off. We you know it was the crisis. Off. The wizards. You're talking about the order that yeah. Wash formed. The order of the Exalted Ring. Yeah, uh, that was all the wizards on oh, one of the right. on one of the pillars. Um. So okay, uh, you poor audio only people. Uh, in the <laughs> in the ocean to the south of Urida, um, between the main continent. And the continent that the god Ko stole by ripping it off the landmass. There are three pillars that extend from the very bottom of the sea to the north tip of the world. 30 miles high, 30 miles wide. Massive obelisks. And at the top of, of each, shins. there is a different... Uh, type of climate. One of them is very habitable. One of them is totally inhospitable. And one of them is just kind of cash. And uh, <laughs> casual for 30 miles high, you may have caught on, is space. But the at the top of this, this casual uh, habitat, there was an order, the Order of the Exalted Ring of Wizards, who lived there and we didn't get a chance to learn very much about them because magic got sucked away and without magic, how are you going to live in space? So there, yeah. the, this order of wizards fell away before they got a chance to really leave their mark on the world. Uh, they were so young, rip them thoughts and prayers. That but we know of. That's what, well, yeah, that, that we you know, know of. of. Uh, wash misses nothing. It's going to be hard to slip <laughs> these little details in later. 
Um, <laughs> I'm a DM. I pay attention and take notes. And uh, we also <laughs> learned in the, I think it was the last episode of the world building session, how high 30 miles was exactly. Yeah, I brought that up because I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody was like thinking about it. I'm like, guys, you realize like that isn't like, oh wow, we're up on the Andes. Like you're you're beyond that by a long <laughs> shot. You're in space. That's a space elevator. That's a yeah. thick space elevator. <laughs> Today I learned Urada is a lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so that's that's my little lore for the evening. Um, and this I, has been yeah. lore with Josh. Lore the with Josh. You know, I like that. I'm gonna take right, that audio from your from your isolated audio. I'm gonna take that and turn it into a little song. <clears throat> Sweet. This has give, been lore with let me, Josh. Let me give you another one. Now we each add a piece of lore. You know, continue building the world. <laughs> no, the time the participation part of this has ended. <laughs> <laughs> well, my lore that I'm adding is that we're all level twenty. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> nice try. I'm my lore this. that I'm adding is that in an experiment gone wrong, all in Madrid passed away. <laughs> <laughs> Unexpectedly between the two sessions. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that off camera character all he had development. to do was press the red button to stop it, but he just kept deliberating over yeah. whether he should do just it now or later. Talking it over with Zoth was just not good for him. No. Uh, Wait, would anybody. So has have we developed feelings enough that would anybody be like hugely upset from Alan's death? Like we'd all be upset. We'd all be upset, right? Zoth would be upset. But like, would we be like devastated? <laughs> wow, you are really, really trying really to blame you, but I think it's really funny that Matt is really playing into the fact that you probably wouldn't. This is <laughs> this is the angsty sixteen-year-old in Fox coming out yeah. here. I no, think. The reason why I brought this up, right, is because I, I recently was was looking into tropes and stuff, right? Because if somebody was upset, if that motivated them, then that you could say that Josh had fridged uh, Alan. Yeah. Except fridging is general, generally done to a, a woman character, and we, we don't have those. In a trope, right? What's, in the trope sense, wait, it is. Wait, wait. It has grown beyond TV that, but that is the origin of the trope. Wait, what is fridging? So fridging so, is a storytelling idea that was like developed in kind of media and film theory of this idea of a female character, traditionally a female character who is introduced to the story simply to become a motivation for the main character when that character is murdered or kidnapped or taken out of the story. Like okay. they're simply a plot device. Um, and traditionally in media, it's been a character's love interest or girlfriend or wife who is killed off. I, I um, do want to add to that. Um, that it, it wasn't like nobody sat around the table and was like, yeah, we're going to call this fridging. Well, <laughs> this is a concept. Uh, th it, it came about because somebody did that and then somebody called them out on that. Yeah. Like, have, have any of you seen Assassination Classroom? No. No. Well, good talk. Sounds informational. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did want to offer tonight. We've had a couple of people in chat ask how I plan D and D sessions and mm. having now come to the conclusion of the first sort of section of our story, I am willing to open what is literally called Josh's guide to player misfortune. <laughs> it's not canon. It's homebrew. 
uh, where I, where I plan stuff and talk about my process. And I can do this Ari in a way that won't ruin the story for you. Um, having not caught up, I can talk about the process in the abstract without talking about the execution of what happened. Um, because a lot of my prep process is just planning for what if rather than actually railroading what will happen and we don't have to go there. So I just wanted to raise the opportunity and see what you guys thought, but that's a thing we could talk about. Um, cause I know we've had some people ask, so Josh I'm not with watcher. that. I'm yeah. He's Josh is the watcher. He will be our guide Ooh. to what if he only watches. He does not interfere, but what if the watcher broke his oath? Who watches the watcher? Another watcher. The watchy. The watchy. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to hold this page up here where it's going to be out of focus. This okay. page uh, you can see has just a little bit of enhance. writing on it. It has just yeah. a little bit of writing on it. The two headings on this page are plot things and big picture things. So under the plot things, I have anything that is relevant to the big picture, but specific to this part of the adventure. For example, when um, Jebediah discovered um, some stuff, he found like the possessions of his grandfather and what those possessions were is written under plot things because I wanted to know what those things are and how they relate to the bigger story that we're telling versus under big picture things. I have stuff like um, guilds that you might come across, like things that are in the world that have a relevance to the plot, but that I don't expect to need. So that if they're for whatever reason, if you're like, we've decided to travel 7,000 miles to the east and go to the town of Arivale, I have some idea of the plot relevant things that I can put in to sort of put the story back on the tracks, you know? So that's what, that's what goes under big picture things. Um, and big picture things is really the place where I start when I'm planning the adventure. So once I got your like backstories and I was like, okay, what's a story that incorporates all those. I figured out, you know, what are the, what are the pieces of each of your character I'm going to challenge. And then I use that to write the plot. And then from the plot, I'm like, okay, now what things do I need to know? Are there relevant guilds in the world? Are there relevant settings, magical items, what you know, stuff like that mm-hmm. on the back of that page. The next section is a two page spread and the two page spread is the most detailed part of my notes. And it looks like this. And again, you can't read all of those things. So let me Random hold up NPC some tables. Of Got it. Yep. Um, <laughs> I have. Well, no, not quite. So on the first thing I have. So that's the, what happens. At the top of this sheet, I have how I started the adventure. And I have it in a flow no, chart it form says for we're myself. Level 20 on the top of the sheet. No, Sorry. it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this I, is I because that. I divide game sessions into three pieces. I divide them into cutscenes, fight scenes, and world exploration or free play. So when I'm planning the intro of a session, I want to start it with a cutscene because I need to talk to bring you back into the world. And then I usually like to follow that with a fight scene, which doesn't actually mean you're in combat. It means you are directly interacting with a challenge. So it could be an encounter or it could be bringing back a challenge that you set, you know, like a a party argument from the last session, something like that. But I like to immediately get the characters talking and playing. And so this flowchart section helps me do that. So for example, in session one of our story, um, the, the very first thing I did is I made all into a deck save. 
and I have that on here and then I have based on the DC, whether he saves or fails, how do I do the next part? Because the real thing that's happening there is a cutscene where Jebediah and Allen are about to meet each other and then it's followed by them interacting with each other, which is the fight scene. So if Allen succeeds on his deck save, then Allen jumps back as the tunnel roof caves in and peering down, he sees a mole folk who's at the bottom of the, of the hole there. And if he um, fails, then he falls into the tunnel and the mole folk sees him brushing himself off, which is what happened in our session one. That so it's things, um, so it's things like that, that help me establish the story in a cohesive way. I like to know that before I get to the session, but then eventually I get to like, there's an item on the flow chart called enter the dungeon or enter the, you know, enter the story where it's like, we've now got all the players talking. I'm ready to let them go. And then that's where the bottom half of this comes in and I'll flash this one quick so you can go back and enhance it if you care enough about this first dungeon, but otherwise not. It is every room of the dungeon is detailed on there. And I also have them color coded by which ones have plot relevant things, which ones have fights in them, which ones have, you know, like I, I detail what each room is and it's just a quick one sentence what's in the room. And that way I can be looking at the map of you navigating because we had tokens on screen. But whenever you navigate to a room, I have a really quick reference that reminds me like what's in this room or is there, you know, a smell in the air? Like what's the flavor text I'm using to establish the scene you're in? And then is there anything plot relevant? And if there is, it'll be color coded to tell me, you know, whether it's a fight, an item, or a, you know, do I need to prompt a conversation or, or what am I doing with that? Or is there a random encounter where like when you enter that room, there's a chance that you wake up the, the enemy in the next room or, you know, something like that. Um, the second page is where I go into detail on those things. So on the second page, there's my complications chart and my encounters chart. And my encounters chart tells me for each room, you know, what's in that room and then what are several ways to interact with that room and then what's the dramatic question of the encounter every encounter in dungeons and dragons uh, from the game master's perspective is just a question and the question could be um, will the spider get to eat that day or the question could be um, will the party discover what the you know will the party discover the hidden plant or the party could be the question could be um where is something, you know, like there, there are lots of questions, but that's what the encounter is because otherwise every encounter is a back and forth slugfest until something's dead. And that doesn't make for good gameplay and it doesn't make for good storytelling. And the question can change mid encounter. The question could go from, will a spider get to eat today to will the party escape those, you know, that's acceptable and you can change the nature of the encounter. Um, but at that point, the first encounter has ended and a new one has started because we have a new question and a new scene. So the encounters that I write down for myself are less about stat blocks and they're more about what's the dramatic question because that tells me what's motivating this conflict. And then also, um, is there a plot relevance? Is there a way around it? Like for example, I consider a chest an encounter because you could pick the lock or you could rip open the chest and smash what's inside or you could whatever. The question is what's in the chest. So I have details about the chests and the kind of locks and things like that on here. And then the other thing I have are exit options. That's the last piece of this from the dungeon. You could exit in one of three ways. And no matter what you flavor your exit, it will be one of those three things when I tell you what happens. And that's another like from any session. And this is different when you're in a city, but also not like you, you could leave the city into one of three districts or you could leave, you know, whatever. Um, but I figure out based on where you go, what is likely to happen. 
And that's not a, a railroad in the sense that I'm definitely going to do it. It's more like I want to be prepared for when you leave the environment that I'm ready for. Like, again, just like having my big plot items available, like knowing who those guilds are or whatever. I want to know what's possible in case because there's always the chance that you go into a dungeon that I'm like, this is going to take them four hours. And you're like, I set it on fire and walk out. And I'm like, <laughs> OK, I guess we're doing doing New Orleans jazz and uh, some some, you know, film noir today. Like, you know, I, I need to roll with that. So I like to be prepared for that. And then the last thing I have is the legit stat block for everything you might encounter in your adventure. So I have for, for this dungeon, I had like seven or eight pages of stat blocks or seven or eight stat blocks. I should say they took up different numbers of pages, but we didn't use all of them. So that's the, like the really general process for me planning a single session. And hopefully that was both vague and specific enough to be useful as far as getting a window into my process. If you have questions sure. or if I was unclear on things, let me know. I'd love to clear it up for you. Um, Could you say it all again, but in slow motion? <laughs> well, the nice thing is it's all recorded. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Was it actually too was it actually too fast for you to pay attention no. to now? <laughs> okay. Not at cool. all. Okay. <laughs> like like, I don't think I, I really would retain all that. Like, if I wanted to replicate that process, I'd have to go back. But, like, it was fine. I hated it, but it was fine. So what, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> how does it, for those of you who have DM'd gameplay before, like, yeah. how does it compare to your process? That was My more prep you than I do. 10 points. <laughs> I'll just show the, myself out. It sounds like the, the way that it looks is that you prep a lot more specifically than I do when I DM, which is a good thing. I, if Same. anything, because uh, I, I hit this, I hit this point at one point when I was DMing, where I realized that I had pre prepared something extremely specific for my players, and then they did something different, and it was just like this, like, oh, I don't have anything prepared for that, but I have so much prepared for this thing that I really thought they were gonna do, like. Like I spent so much time <laughs> preparing that. Um, so I like kind of took this other direction of like, I'm going to prepare pretty vaguely and let things fall where they may, which I think resulted in some play sessions for my players that they could tell that I was making crap up as I went along. But I hope it was still fun. But it sounds like you have struck a good balance between like being pretty darn prepared, but also being prepared in the way where you're prepared for us to do something different and you'll be able to roll with that and still have like the tools to make that a fun experience too. Um, so that sounds great. And I, I like, yeah, no, it definitely. And I like that you have it all organized in like its own binder that has its own structure and organization, which is cool. I used to do a similar thing, but digitally, but now that I've lived longer and know what I like, I think I would probably do the same thing if I started DMing again, where I would try to do a hard copy like that. Cause that would be pretty helpful. But yeah, it also like I only landed on this style on the last campaign I did before this. I've tried lots mm -hmm. of different ways and, and had lots of different experiences with it. But I, I got to the point where I was like, I need to be able to flip through it quickly. So like three pages of actual material that I might need to look at was all I was willing to go with. And one of them is a uh -huh. two page spread. And so I had to kind of boil down what I was looking at. And so that's why like there are a lot of things that other DMs want. Like like um I know a DM who writes out the flavor text for every room like in paragraph form, like you would find yeah. in a pre-built module yep. where it 
um, you know, if you buy a D and D game, it will tell you like three paragraphs of exposition for each room that the party goes in or whatever. Um, but for me, that was too much. I like relying on my, I also like being able to like storytell on the fly. Like if I'm trying to adapt a script that I have word for word in front of me, it's harder to jump out and back in versus if I just know what's supposed to be in the room, but you guys have done something like drive a hot dog cart into the dungeon. Like, of course <laughs> the things have left the room. They want to go buy a hot dog. So like, you know, I, I like to be able to be ready for, for crazy stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I, so far, I mean, I've only done it for two sessions here and then the last campaign was a shorter one. It only ran for um, a month or two, but I like this way the most. That's why I'm doing it again. So cool. So for, it's very for me similar. personally, no, go ahead. Oh, you go watch. <laughs> no, no, you go ahead. You started first. I interrupted okay. you. So, so for me personally, um, I haven't done like a long form campaign, so I can't speak to that. And the one I'm doing now is, is pre-made and I'm not super happy with, with how I've been running it. Um, and I, I can't go with that's a, that's a whole different story on why, why, I'm not happy with it, but, um, a lot of it has like, it's a pre-made. So a lot of the stuff is just already done and it, it's, I, I sort of got lazy with prep because I'm like, Oh, I already have everything that I need basically. And that's sort of a mistake and sort of owning up to that. But, um, for the, the stuff that I did create, uh, I do, or what I enjoy a lot is, is creating dungeons and sort of that vibe that doesn't always have to be a dungeon. Like the last one I did was a castle. But I usually will have, like, for dungeons, I'm, I'm a big puzzle guy. So I'll have, like, a list of puzzles that I know how they work. And mm -hmm. they may not have a specific room, or, like, I may not plan that out, but I'm like, okay, this would fit perfect here based on how the party's doing and everything. Um, and I usually... And, some things I, I do mess up and I'm like, oh, and I, I think me DMing, I am like really good at um, doing things on the fly and creating sort of an interesting experience without any prep. Um, and, and, and I think that there is some prep that I should be doing like that. I don't, I'll always have like what sort of creatures and monsters I'm going to throw up against them. I'll plan out the final fight and like that location and I'll basically just let the party go through it and sort of lead them through. And then as they go, I sort of adapt the, the story, the narrative, the, the rooms to sort of fit what they're doing to try and give them a better experience. Cause I found that like kind of what Jake said, if you just over prep, then you end up in a trap of like, Oh, if they do something crazy and wild that you don't expect, then you're not prepared for it. And so this allows me to personally like go on the fly. Like if they go to a room you didn't flesh out, it's like, well, I have a puzzle that I could just throw in here that I didn't mm. plan for, or, oh, I have these monsters ready to go to fight if, if they want to fight or like if I feel like they haven't fought something for a little bit. So it's kind of like a custom random encounter table. Yeah. Nice. Um, and it's like... I, I usually have the layout of the dungeon ready to go. Um, but I, I, I tend to be ambitious with dungeons and that's something I need to, to work on is like not plan such a large dungeon. The last one I ran felt a little bit hollow and empty. Like, um, 
but they still had fun. They didn't they didn't end up exploring like half of it, and it was taking a long time as is. So I sort of just got them to the end eventually. Yeah. Sometimes there is that point where it's like, ah, I know that I'm cutting a corner to get them to the ending in a satisfying way, but they don't know that, so that's fine. Exactly. Like, and it it leaves it open where it's like, oh, if they do like had like they had a spell or an item that just allowed them to unlock unlock doors, and I'm like, well, this could be a problem because my sort of barrier to the final room were locked doors, um, and so I just sort of in oh you have this like super awesome like boss store basically with like 10 locks on it like that i didn't plan that that's just like something i came up with because i'm like i don't want to take away an item i let them have and it not be useful to them but it made getting through this door easier yeah that totally makes yeah. sense to me um, Ari in the chat uh, talking about her planning process just said, you know, I've only done one shots, but I basically write two or three key plot points that the party needs to find before I get to the climax of the story, which is the most detailed part of my planning in paragraph form. All the smaller details are more vague, like shop names and NPCs. That makes for, sense. For a one shot, I think that's all you need, really. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've done one shots that were like great memories um super super fun that the dm obviously and self-admittedly did not even plan that much you know what i mean like it was like the whole thing was just like we're playing D, &D but it's in the old west and we're all cowboys like you know like that <laughs> and and yeah. because of that it was a fun time and there we weren't expecting anything crazier or more than that so yeah it's fun i think some of the hardest things are actually like the first session or the first like introduction of like getting everyone together i think that's always the hardest and sort of most awkward part of any whether it's a one shot or a full-time campaign gotta mm. get the band together what about you wash so uh, your your style is a uh, is quite similar in in a lot of principles um in what i do i i primarily base my style off of the lazy dungeon masters style so like you can check out slyflourish.com and he's got his whole process set out on there. Um, but essentially, my start to finish, um, well, actually, before I, before I do that, the, uh, before I even start my process, the most important f thing for me is a mental hook. <clears throat> because when I, uh, I, I, I improv a lot, and so I'm more interested in tools than resources. So lists of names that I've come up with ahead of time, um, encounter tables that have like hard, medium, easy difficulty encounters that they can come across, um, resources like that, uh, being able to get to spells really quickly, being able to get to stat blocks really quickly. I, I, I invest a lot of my time in, um, in a tool chain that will move as fast as my brain does at the table. Um, and so the mental hook, typically, like if they're in a dungeon, it's the map. Um, and that way, you know, you if I can draw out a map or sketch out a map or find a map that looks decent enough, then I can plug in all of the information in there. I can I can plug monsters into a different place. I can I can throw a shop on this side of town. Um, I can take a look at a city and be like, it makes sense that a guild would be over here even if i hadn't written that in yet if they pull something out of the left left field 
having some sort of mental hook that I can plug stuff into is the most important thing. Uh, maps work really well for me, but sometimes when uh, when they're in a very weird place, like the the infinite staircase, um, having the having the tables available to generate the next floor on the infinite staircases is, is really important to me, mm. and and having a, a place to like plug in all of that stuff. But generally, my process number one is name all of the characters from memory. Um, like so if i was preparing if i was a responsible dm and had already prepared this thursday's game i would go through all of my characters so there's razlan the uh, leonin cleric there is shurg the furbolg uh well he's a rune knight now there's resphere the half-elf druid there's penelope the fairy druid there is Rhea, the blue tiefling sorcerer jack who is a tiefling warlock there is word the orc barbarian and i'm probably forget oh yeah asha the halfling thief and so i i run through that and whenever when i name them off i just take a minute to think about their characters up to that point and root them in my head and i feel like when i do that first all of my decisions that come afterwards are focused correctly. It keeps mm. me from it keeps me from drilling in on my world building and being like, "Ooh, the spire of blah 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 blah" or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then all of my notes end up being like, "Oh, how cool the spire is!" And then they go west and they never see the spire. When I when I focus on the characters first, it helps me root them in my in my mind and remember what their goals are and the things that they've talked about. You know, I remember that Asha has a pet uh, dog named Ferdinand. So it's really cool to, you know, I might put him in some danger because that always freaks the party out. And they, you know, <laughs> it kind of gets them refocused on on the, the thing at hand. Um, uh, all of that, all of that stuff. So I root all the characters in my head and then I break it down into scenes. Um, I don't I don't bring all of my lore with me. My lore stays at home or like in files and documents and i am i am preparing only for what the players are going to experience tonight so i have all of, all of that um, but I, I break it out into scenes and a scene is roughly uh 30 to 45 minutes of time what they are going to get through and i have a very large party so normally i only have about three scenes um and those are normally bullet points it's like two two sentences like, uh, you know, they finish collecting the materials for the hot air balloon. They need to assemble it. And that's that's a scene and all of the things that go around that and the way I can facilitate the story around that. And so I'll get my scenes lined out. After that, um, I make a, a list of secrets and clues, which is supposed to be 10 long. I don't always get to 10. But these are... These are plot points. They are lore about the world. They are things that they don't know or clues that will lead them in the right direction. And they are setting agnostic. They, it is just a mm. list there. And then I will find an appropriate time to pull from it and plug it in. If they if they need a, a clue at a certain spot, then will the NPC that they're talking to, how, how would they know this? Would they know this or would they know somebody that knows this? And I can direct them in a way to to uh find like i don't often force feed it to them but i'm like i'll put it in front of them 
and if they get it or not, well, you know, the dice will determine. Right. That's Six really shots. useful. And uh, and then once they discover something, I cross it out, and that way I know that that thing has been discovered. Um, and when I when I prep my notes, it's one big list. <laughs> it's, just, it's it's like so I can scroll back through a charter essentially of the history of the campaign and I can yeah and I can kind of see what has happened um, because there's a difference you, I've talked to before about my philosophy of if it doesn't happen at the table it hasn't happened um, and so when you have a big charter or when I have a big charter like that and then I have my lore over here I can see what they've been exposed to and what is floating out there and I can you know because if it happens at the table it's can and you can't change that and so I'll do my secrets and clues. And then after that, it's just kind of flavor. I'll, like, I'll, I'll throw together some encounter tables of monsters that fit for the area. Rewards like magic magic items or titles or, or like whatever is appropriate. Um, I'll, I'll have down there. And then at the very, very bottom, um, I have a section for uh, my synopsis. So once the story is done and I come home... I sit down in front of my laptop and I just write out everything that happened. Hmm. And it's normally like two or three paragraphs. And so I can, I can kind of see of like what I started to do and what I planned and then what actually happened. And that way, when I come to my next session, I have what just happened and then I can start all over again. And I kind of go down from there. I will 100% be stealing setting agnostic clues and secrets. At, it's already Secrets stolen. And clues is super powerful. Already stolen and <laughs> worked into my. It, I I already know where it fits on my page spread. It's <laughs> stolen goes right there next to the complication table. Just mm, juicy. Yep. Nice. Um, I I love that that style that you're using too with the synopsis. Um, if you are listening to this and you're like, man, I wish Wing Badger Tavern had a synopsis. I don't know why you talk like that, but if you talk like that and you <laughs> wish that we had a synopsis, luckily for you, we do Stop talking like that. in our discord. There that was is a, a channel, perfect impression. Well, thank you. Yeah. Of everyone <laughs> yeah. who's ever listened to our podcast. That's yeah. a perfect impression of them. Uh, there is a channel in our discord called story so far. And for you to get there, all you need to do is uh, on our Twitch, look at our about section. We've got a panel that'll link you and from our podcast i'll totally rewrite the descriptions tonight so that the discord link is in those as well because i hadn't been doing that uh but (laughs) yeah if that link doesn't work you can always come to twitch and get one there um and and that'll be great too so if you're looking for a synopsis that's where you can find one but i mean our coherent story beat repetition at the beginning of this should have yeah. been plenty for you i think totally we can all you probably agree. you probably got it 100 percent just from the part that i gave yeah so i mean like uh, whatever matt i can't see your face so i can't know for sure that you didn't have something to contribute so did you want to talk about how you prep sessions he's asleep uh, <laughs> <laughs> one time man yeah no that was that was, that was a good guess no literally um, one time <laughs> So, I was going to say, or when it comes to stuff, like, in life in general, I'm terrible at prepping, right? <laughs> I, like, I thought your sentence was stopping at I'm terrible. Like, when it comes to life in general, I'm terrible. And I laughed at you so quickly oh, that I hi. now feel like I owe you an apology. So, I'm sorry for, for, for just descending upon you like that. Go Oof. ahead and talk. Daddy. <laughs> You didn't have to admit that. I, I would have I would have thought that that was to what I said. Anyway, uh, moving on. 
I'm telling my I'm saying that out loud so my brain registers that I'm moving on. <laughs> um So I don't prep a lot, and that is a fault of mine, a flaw, I would say. That's a character flaw of mine. Character flaw. Um and so what I if I were to do D D, right, when I DM, i I've, I think I've only done it once, maybe twice. Um, and my go-to is I will plan out like a general idea of what I want, right? Maybe some of the puzzles. And a lot of my stuff comes from Josh because Josh has helped me a lot in the past and I like the way he does things. Um, now, I don't think he's ever sat down and explained completely except for, I think there was the one time we sat down we were trying to co-DM something. That was a lot of fun, by the way, even though we never got a chance to use that um josh if you remember that oh i do um sadly maybe we'll spring it on these guys as a one shot for a holiday sometime i ran it as a test thing right and uh the one person we only had one person to run it with it was me josh and this other person and i am a terrible influence so what do i do before we even start the campaign but feed this man alcohol (laughs) <laughs> and it just so happens he's the one person in our friend group who's terrible at handling alcohol. So, of course, it turns into a complete just BS. Like, it, it's just, he, it disintegrates really fast. Yeah, <laughs> it's a time. Um, So, yeah, no, I think normally I, I embrace DMing and perhaps this isn't correct because I haven't done it a lot, right? I'm not experienced. Uh, but I embrace it the same way I do characters, which is I come up with a rough idea of what I want to start with, like an outline, and that's it. Like, I'll sit mm-hmm. with the outline. Um, and then sometimes I'll work certain details out because that makes sense, right? Like, these are probably pivotable, but otherwise, this, this is an outline. And I role play the world. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, just like how you look at the map and you're like, a guild would go here. I'm thinking to myself, all right, they're going to a city. Um, what kind of city is this? Right. And I and I kind of just think of a lot of it on the fly. Um, the outline might be this is like a Roman ripoff, right? The Roman Republic ripoff. And from that, I can kind of just create a general idea of what towns would look like. Um. And obviously the flaw with that, though, is that sometimes I'm going to be caught off guard, right? And I'm going to be like, well, okay, then. Then I just start throwing things out there, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I'm backpedaling. But I, I, I still enjoy the exercise of trying to come up with some of that stuff on the fly. Uh, the one thing I am terrible with, those names. I've never been good at him in real life. I'm, I'm almost... I've been a lot better than I was when I was younger about remembering people's names, but I've always been bad with names. Never mind coming up with them. Um, I was going to say, is it coming up with them or remembering the ones that you've picked already? Uh, both. <laughs> it's both. <laughs> the so answer is yes. There's a, there's a really super easy, stupid easy trick that you can use, and it's essentially the alphabet. You get a 3 by 5 card, you write the entire alphabet out on it, A through N, M through Z. You write a name for each letter of the alphabet. And what happens is when you need a name during a game, you pick one, you cross it out. 
Um, you can make one for male names and female names if you want. If you want to get crazy, you can go gnomes, dwarves, blah, 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 blah. But generally, I just have male and female names. And if you do it that way, it's less confusing because you don't have Alan and Alex and Alistair. <laughs> they all right. start with different letters. You've got you've got Bartholomew and Alicious and Zanir, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can if you can separate them out enough, and plus, like I hang it on my DM screen. I have like a little, I, I keep the three by five card right there, so it's like I can look at the one that I just crossed out, and it's right there. And I'm like, oh yeah, Bartholomew, he talks to you, and he's just like, hey man, I don't know what I'm doing and why I sound like Jebediah Peppermint, but I do. And so <laughs> this is where we're at. <laughs> this is where we're at. That's uh, where we yeah. be. That's that's a really cool idea. Um, three by yeah. five cards are the dungeon master index life cards or sticky notes i also um go ahead matt honestly the second you said also i i lost what i was gonna yeah, say screw <laughs> what you were gonna say matt forget about it no i wanted to uh shout out matt for the co-dming stuff that we worked out we came up with a really fun system for co-dming a story and I got to use it for a fairly long campaign that actually Ari in the chat got to play in. And so she got to see it. Um, mm-hmm. But basically what we did is one of us handled the mechanics of what was going on in the world and keeping keeping a hold of like the full plot. And then Matt would basically, he was waiting in a side room with a whiteboard of characters they might encounter and what that character wanted. Remember every every encounter is just a dramatic question. And whenever they encountered someone, he would come out as that character. And so he was the NPC <laughs> playing like a player would play their character focused exclusively on what they wanted. And we got to like use props and stuff for it too. So like one time we did hang on one second, I'll be right back for those of you looking at the camera. No, right, I'm now very that Josh is gone. I, yeah. I will carry this on before we So it's one time, right? This one time he comes out as a mob boss with a whiteboard marker as a cigar. And he's like, look, you want me to do something for you? I'm going to need you to do something for me. And just stuff like that that really like brought the character to life at the table. And uh-huh. I just am a huge fan of how it worked. And it worked because Matt is really, really good at picking up what the character, like what the NPC wants. And like he said, like play the world. Like literally, what does the world want right now? Where are you? What are you interacting with? What has brought us to this point? Like he nails that. So he talks about it like I don't prepare nuts so rip me, but like he's really good at it. So <laughs> that's why I got so far without preparing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you no, go. I, I, I gotta say, um, it, it was a lot of fun co-DMing with you. Uh, well, who is the one character who is like off the wall crazy? Koi. Um, was it Koi? No, 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 no. Okay, sorry. That was a character I played. There was one who was like a professor or something. Oh, um, he, he was he was Elodin from uh, The Name yes. of the Wind. We reskinned Elodin and brought him into our campaign. <laughs> that was That's before great. I read it, by the way, I think. Um but that was a lot. That character was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> He's just this eclectic professor who wasn't really concerned at all with the health of his students, just like ah. in the name of the wind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I even know what the name of, of the wind is, but that sounds interesting. I had a lot of fun just being like, here you go. Have fun. <laughs> um, and nice. uh, dropping random stuff off and that made no sense. Um, 
think I gave him a bunch of wands that just did fireworks and threw him in a warehouse party while Chat the police the police were coming. Uh, and like 100% on the wrong side of the law. Um, <laughs> just never gets caught. It was, it was great. Now at the risk of artificially rushing us to the next topic, um, time is a ticking and wash is really excited to talk to us about some pretty big news in the D and D world tonight. And so Ooh. I want us to just pivot over there and let this man share the excitement Pivot. because twice now on two different days, I've been like, what are you excited about? And he's like, you better wait for the stream, man. That's how okay. Wash talks. You better wait for the stream, man. Cause we're oh, talking he has about a high stream. Yeah. Pitch and he's I'm, very versatile. I'm not willing to wait two <laughs> weeks for whatever it is that he's so excited about. So you, you just take us away, Wash. So get ready to nerd out. Because this is this is the the crunchy side of D and D, the the hof, the harder crunchier side of D and I'm I'm a very big role play, um, I'm avid I'm an avid role player and, and I really like role play as like the core of, of D and But sometimes I like to delve into the crunchy stuff, and Watsy, if you're not familiar with the uh, um, abbreviation, that's Wizards of the Coast. Mm. But they, they released a new Unearthed Arcana, um, which is their beta test material for a new book coming out. It's called Travelers of the Multiverse. And Ooh. I just wanna I just wanna read through some of these. Um I th- my speculation is that they're gonna do some spell jammer stuff, which I'm really excited oh, yeah. about. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um but so it's uh it's just races. There are one, two <laughs> It's just so three. racist. Four, it's uh, the new Unearthed Arcana is just racist. It's Sorry. so racist. <laughs> well, normally, normally they will they'll do things like class options, um, subclasses. Um, they they put the the artificer class in here for a while mm-hmm. when they were doing the the beta testing for it. Yeah. But these are just races. Um, so the first one is um, is a little a little vanilla. It's called the Astral Elf. These are elves that have moved from the Feywild into the uh, Astral Sea. Um, mm. So one of the neat things about the Astral Sea is that it's uh, that things don't age there. There is no time, and so like uh, if you're familiar with the Githyanki at all, they they have enclaves out in the Prime Material Plane. They primarily live in the Astral Sea, but they have enclaves out in the Prime Material Plane so they can have children and have them age up to adulthood before they can go back into the Astral Sea and live forever. It's kind of kind of an interesting place. Hmm. Um, hmm. But it's pretty straightforward for the first part. You, you get uh, your size is medium. You get 30 feet of walking uh, speed. You get a thing called Astral Fire, which lets you cast a cantrip of Dancing Lights, Light, or Sacred Flame. It's kind of neat. Mm. You get the normal elf stuff like Fey Ancestry, where you get, you know, you can't be magically put to sleep and all of that jazz. But then you get something called Radiant Soul. Uh, when you succeed on a death save, you regain a number of hit points equal to your proficiency bonus, plus your intelligence, wisdom, or oh, charisma wow. modifier. You choose this when you select the race. You can't use this trait again until you finish a long rest. So Dang. That's you cool. You just like come back to life. Like like it's like a it's like a, a gimme. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. 
that just i i'm making this note for myself when i cut the audio of this podcast together to cut back to matt going call an ambulance but not for me <laughs> <laughs> uh, you also get a thing called trance proficiency so elves don't fall asleep they go into a trance and it's only like four hours or something like that and they just get like kind of like in a semi-conscious meditative state um but since the idea is is that the astral elves have been al- alive for like seven, eight, nine hundred years. Um, that when you go into it, when it says whenever you finish a long rest using your trance trait, you gain two proficiencies, each with a weapon Whoa. or a tool of your choice. Um, you mystic- mystically acquire these proficiencies by drawing them from shared elven memory and you retain them until you finish your next long rest. So every long rest, you can swap out weapon and tool proficiencies, which is fantastic for like a rogue or like a skill monkey or something like that. So it's kind of like instead of um instead of like swapping spells or whatever at the mm-hmm. end of long rest you can swap your skills. Oh. Yeah. That's and weapon proficiencies. Yeah. So like if you find a great sword and you have you're not proficient with great swords, just you swap it out. Just sleep it on also it. Also it has yeah, sleep on it and you know, you could be like a wizard who is now proficient with great swords. Mhm. Dang. Because you that's can awesome. swap those out. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Okay. Now that's the vanilla stuff. Now we're getting into the crazy kooky cool stuff. And, oh, and no. this oh, is, I'm so excited yet. about this. Yes. Oh no, that's not crazy kooky yet. Are you ready for this? Yeah. The autonome. Oh. The <laughs> autonomes are mechanical beings built by rock gnomes in their image, usually with a particular purpose in mind. Blah, 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 blah. They're little gnome robots. Little construct automatons. Interesting. Yes. Very, very much interesting. They give you a cool little autonome history, like like why you're out adventuring. Like if you were left in your workshop and your owner like died or never came back or whatever. Um, so they give you kind of some neat origins. Um, huh. But the traits, check this out. So your creature type is a construct. You're not a creature. Hmm which has some low-key weird stuff that happens when it comes to, like, spells targeting things yeah. and yeah. elements it, affecting it, stuff. Um, constructs can't be healed by, like, healing word or something. It's like they need to be... Yeah. Is it mending? We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, they're small, so you're, you're a small little, little guy. So this is... I, I'm loving that this race can be reskinned to essentially like R2-D2 or BB-8 or or some equivalent because it doesn't have to be a gnome. Like these are just like great rules for like a small little automaton. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Your walking speed is 30 feet, which is interesting for a small creature. Most small creatures, you get 25 feet. Yeah. Um, You get a thing called armored casing where you're encased in a thin metal or some other durable metal. While you aren't wearing armor, your base armor class is 13 plus your dex mod, uh, which is nice. Yeah. Here's here's the first wacky thing though, built for success, you can add a D4 to one attack roll, ability check, or saving throw you make, and you can do so after seeing the D20, but before the effects of the roll are resolved. You can use this trait a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all after a long rest. So it's essentially a built-in guess. Yeah, that's amazing. Too blessed to be yeah. stressed. Bruh. That's why R2-D2 awesome. was always successful. I want yeah, to right? for success tattooed on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> With a little uh, D4 a next called... to it. Yeah. 
you get some resistance, like a mechanical nature, resistance to poison and disease, and you don't need to eat and drink and whatever. The sentries rest, when you take a long rest, you spend at least six hours in an inactive motionless state instead of sleeping. In this state, in this state, you appear inert, but you aren't unconscious. So you are completely conscious in like sentry mode, just kind of beep, boop, beep, boop, walking around. <laughs> huh. Did I be um, Okay. Now here's the last cool thing about these guys. True life. If the mending spell is cast on you, you can expend a hit die. You roll it and regain a number of hit points equal to the roll plus your constitution modifier, minimum one. In addition, your creator has designed you to benefit from common spells that preserve life, but that normally don't affect constructs. So you can still be healed from cure wounds, healing word, and spare the dying and stuff, but you can get healed from your hit dice with mending, which is a cantrip. Yeah. Cantrip healing Dang. is like not a thing. No. Yeah. Hmm. That's There's a reason awesome. that no cantrips actually heal. Yeah. Wow. Um, are you guys familiar with the GIF? Commonly, maybe pronounced some by some as GIF. Yes, <laughs> I'm familiar with the GIF. Do you just mean the you're concept the of the GIF, or is there like a specific GIF you're talking about? There's a race called the GIF. Oh, I, I've the, never that's heard like that. already in D and D. Yeah. Oh no, I'm not familiar with that. No, they're I'm large. Not. Okay, they're large hippopotamuses. Oh, okay. They're, they're hi hippopotami. Yeah, and they're but they're like, like imagine, um, Treasure Planet. Okay. Why am I getting Jebediah vibes from the? <laughs> imagine, imagine like colonial spacefaring uh, pirates and sailors, but they are big hippopotamuses with you know all of the coats and accoutrement and whatever that's the gif they're they're ah. like broad-shouldered um they have you know hippo skin and like all of that stuff but they they ah. get a lot of really neat stuff um like okay so one of the reasons i was giggling earlier is just the the wording in this they get a thing called damage dealer like a hippopotamus in a crystalware shop, you are naturally adept at damaging things. <laughs> when you roll a one, when you roll a one on a damage die for a melee attack, you can re-roll the die and use the new roll. So you can do, uh, you can do so no more than once per turn. So you just get great weapon fighting, but on any melee attack. Dang. So it's like the lucky yeah. feat. Wow. Or the halfling luck ability. Well, that's a roll for damage, right? Not a roll to hit. For damage, yeah. So it's like great yeah. weapon fighting, oh, where if okay. you roll a one, you get to re-roll it. Um, you also get hippo build. You have advantage on strength ability checks, just ability checks and saving throws that are strength based. Wow! Hippo In build has never you before been as... a compliment. <laughs> I know, right? In addition, you count as one size larger when determining your carrying capacity. So it's like the heavy, the heavy build um, that like the loxodons have and stuff, where you can carry a bunch of stuff. But dude, just like built-in advantage on strength. That's like barbarian rage right there. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. Awesome. I just want to bring this up, all right? Sorry for you audio listeners, um, but in our in our Discord, I have posted in our D and D thread uh, the first image I oh, found. Yeah. That's um, it. And I was like, "This is this gives me Jeb vibes." If Jeb was like in the colonial era, <laughs> like instead of instead yeah, of the end of the Western accent, he was like, "My dear sir, <laughs> I believe you know what you have just done." Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I just pulled it up for the... We must bombard the opponents. <laughs> 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 
That's exactly how he talks. 100%. That's a great voice. I, I've pulled up the photo for the live stream, so if you if you really want to know, you can go watch our VOD on Twitch. But you know, if you we don't know, we're not going to check. Know. There's not a quiz on this. But almost you every know, image know. is like yeah. related to that era of art style, of like colonial, <laughs> just blunder. And it's always a blunderbuss. Yeah, I know, right? There is blunderbusses one with were a, cheap. <laughs> with a, what, what is this called? The boomerang-looking swords. That's actually Cimitar? a thing. No. Oh, a falchion? I think so. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll once again take another photo and post Ooh. it. Wow. Once again, uh, asking you for This is why I have <laughs> Snippet on the hot bar, by the way. Do you do you realize that this is going to be an audio-only podcast? But- <laughs> <laughs> I know. that That's the hook for the audio people. You should uh, you oh, should yeah. go to our Discord, you know. And, you can and see take, cool see hippo it. pictures. Yeah, cool, <laughs> cool hippo pictures. That is not what I thought our Discord would be known for, like the cool hippo pics. Should, should we add? Yeah, I was about to say, should we add a uh, like or rename the, the rename pets to cool hippo pics? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. That's I'm it. here for it. That's fine. Cool hippo pics. All of Christmas, right, we let's... just we just continuously link the song. I want to ever since I gave Jake Christmas. Discord mod privileges, it's just been downhill. I just. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Right, three I'm, more. My goal quick. is to crash the Discord server. Right, it's fine. Yeah, three ahead. more. Hit us Continue with it. No, you're fine. So the next one's the Hadozi, uh, which are simians. They're essentially monkeys or monkey-ish. Um, okay. They can be medium or small. Their walk speed is 30 feet, and you have a climbing speed equal to your walking speed. Uh, they have a feature called dexterous feet. You can use the, you can take the use an act, use an object action as a bonus action. So that's like, like drink like a potion, a potion. Yeah. With your foot. That's a dexterous, dexterous feet. Dexterous feet. Yeah. Um, they can glide. Uh, I won't read it cause it's like really, really long, but it's like when you fall one feet, you can move five feet horizontally. Uh, they, they have like the, uh, like sugar um, glider wings. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, and then are you? I'm I'm going to do the last one, and then I'm going to do the next to last one, just because. Uh, the last one is the three crane. So this is actually a existing monster in the monster manual, or maybe it's in Morden kind of, but um, it's already out there. But your your creature type is a monstrosity for this, so it's mm. not humanoid or construct creature, a monstrosity. Uh, your smedi- your medium, medium or small, you're, you're medium. Um, <laughs> but they these things are six armed insectoids. Wow. Uh, okay. It says they don't sleep. Um, they do require periods of inactivity to revitalize themselves. However, uh, you get this thing called chameleon carapace, which your AC is thirteen plus your Dex mod, and as an action, you can change the color of your carapace. Um, wow. They get dark vision, and then they have a big cool text block on here called secondary arms. You have two slightly smaller secondary arms below your primary arms. The secondary (laughs) arms function like your primary arms with the following exceptions. You can use a secondary arm to wield a weapon that has the light property, but you can't use a secondary arm to wield other kinds of weapons. And you can't wield shields with your secondary arms either. Um... They get a, a special telepathy. You have the magical ability to communicate mentally with any number of willing creatures you can see within 120 feet of you. 
a contacted creature doesn't need to share a language with you, so it's just like communicating thought. Um, and then there's sleepless re revitalization. You don't need to sleep, and you can choose to remain conscious during a long rest, though you must refrain from strenuous activity to gain the benefit of long rest. Just straight up, don't have to sleep. Just like It's like hive mind stuff. You could play mm. like a party of, Interesting. of these guys. And then the last one. You ready for the last one? Oh, I'm ready. I'm going to read a little bit of the, the blurb on this one, because they have like a little description of it, and then they break out like the stat blocks. The last one is... The plasmoid. Plasmoids are amorphous beings with no typical shape. They are slimes. In the mm. presence of other folk, they often adapt a similar adopt a similar form, but there's little chance of mistaking a plasmoid for anything else. They consume food by osmosis, the way an amoeba does, and excrete waste through the tiny pores. They oh. breathe by absorbing oxygen through another set of pores, and their limbs are strong and flexible enough to grasp and manipulate weapons and tools. Although most plasmoids are a translucent gray, they can alter their color and translucence by absorbing dyes through their pores. Plasmoids don't have internal organs of the usual sort. Their bodies are composed of cells, fibers, plasma-like ooze, and clusters of nerves called ganglia. They're, it's it's a it's a slime. Like you could yeah, just be like you a just gelatinous play a slime. cube. Oh, That's cool. Your creature type is ooze. You can be small or medium. Walk speed of thirty, so nothing there. Amorphous. You can squeeze through a space as narrow as one inch wide, provided you are wearing and carrying nothing. You also have advantage on ability checks to make or initiate a uh, make to make or initiate or escape a grapple. They have dark vision. They can hold their breath for an hour. They're resistant to acid um, and saving throws against being poisoned. And then their last thing they have is called shape self. If you are not incapacitated, you can reshape your body to give yourself a head, one or two arms, one or two legs, and makeshift hands and feet. Or you can revert to a limbless blob. No action required. <laughs> Nice. As a bonus action, you can extrude a pseudopod that is up to six inches wide and ten feet ten feet long Whoa. or resorb it into your body. You can also use the pseudopod to manipulate an object, open an unlocked door or container, stow or retrieve an item from an open container, or pour out the contents of a container. The pseudopod can't attack, activate magic items, or carry more than ten pounds. So it's like a trunk, like on the locks huh. on. But it's ten feet long. It's like wow. a big prehensile tail. That's pretty cool. Dang. Can I play an ooze? I want to play an ooze now. <laughs> Too late, dude. You're an orc. <laughs> True. Orc and ooze both start with O, so I think he can, actually. I think that's Thanks, the rule. Oh, that's the <laughs> flight of the ooze orcs. See, I was I was pretending to be an orc to gain everyone's trust. Yeah, he's a green ooze. So he's about to easy. revert back to his, <laughs> yeah. his blobs, his limbless blob state. Yeah, yeah. I feel like which is just really the state I'm already in. I feel it's called been... out for my fitness regimen by oh. limbless blob state. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm really torn been... between plasmoid and the auto gnomes. I think the auto gnomes. Those are both great. He's been deep undercover. It's you know been two years since he's <laughs> since he's he's underwent this mission. I'm Dang. curious how it can have dark vision, but also be a gelatinous cube. Like, where do the eyes go? <laughs> it just absorbs light, like it what absorbs anything do. else. Yeah, I wonder if it's more like uh, almost like a blind sense or something like that, or like a, like a photosensitivity <sighs> or something. I don't know. It has infrared detection. 
I played yeah. with I think I, I played with a Trevor that wasn't our Trevor one time and he was supposed to have Tremor Sense, but he kept getting it confused with Dark Vision, so we called it Trevor Sense and gave him both. <laughs> <laughs> Just like sure, That's why great. not? <laughs> Trevor Sense, amazing. Patches. <laughs> Trevor Sense. So Zothgo, well, cool. next episode, is going to yeah. get eaten by a gelatinous cube. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and become one and then with this, the gelatinous cube. this little cube. ooze is going to come out with Zothkug's skull inside of it, just like floating around in the yeah. head portion of it. Nice. And he will be like... It absorbs yeah. my memories too and personality and yeah. it just assumes whatever whatever things it absorbs. Wow, this is, this sounds like, really convenient for you. <laughs> so, this sounds awfully convenient, buddy. <laughs> I think I might overrule you there. I'm just a vitamin man. Like, yeah. yeah like that's... <laughs> I literally yeah. just looked over at my Discord like, oh no, is Jake having connection issues? But it was just Jake rubbing his finger across his lips as he spoke to try and simulate connection issues. No, not connection <laughs> issues to simulate speaking through an ooze. Connection issues. <laughs> no, I'm pretending I'm speaking through an ooze. Watched Sorry, it I earlier. I'm going into a tunnel. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna mess up the overlay now. Oh, what if I hung up right there? What if I what if I did it? I don't know, man. I don't know. Oh I, don't, my God. I don't know. But I think right now might be a good time with, <laughs> with this energy. This might be a good time for us. Uh, might be a good time for us to end the stream for the night. That's it's fair. getting late. <laughs> We're getting weird, and uh, uh, we have successfully changed the pets channel on our Discord to Cool Hippo Picks. So check yeah. that out. But, uh, yeah. you did it. Shout out to Wash Brunello, our collaborator and co-streamer. He is almost affiliate, so if you haven't followed him yet, go give him some oh, love. Man. Follow that page. We're gonna try and get him to affiliate as soon as we can. From all of us here at Wing Badger Gaming, a hearty GG's and a plasmoid GN. <laughs> Have a good night. If you'd like to be a part of our content, you can join us on Mondays at 9 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv slash wingbadgergaming. We strive to make our streams as interactive as possible, and we'd love to have you help shape the story we're telling. Special thanks to collaborator and fellow streamer Wash Brunello for being part of this tabletop adventure. From all of us here at the Tavern, we'll see you next week.